get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, Get into Dobbs. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. I have to say, I am genuinely thrilled to be able to say that Major League Baseball's back and we're going to play 162 games. Is that true? We're open for business. Arenado hits it out to deep left. How about number 30? O'Neal smokes it. Oh, and he knew it. It's gone. Bader hits it out to deep left. Late inning magic again. Getting choked up here. Good day in St. Louis. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. We got some breaking news to announce, ladies and gentlemen. Is it Tanner breaking news or is it actual breaking Not news? Not only is baseball back, but the Cardinals are out here jumping the market, Alex Ferrario. They've oh, already made Trevor their story. first signing. How about this? The St. Louis Cardinals are the first team after the lockout to sign a player. Woo-hoo! Would you like to hear who that player is, I Alex already Ferrario? know. It's either Trevor Story, Joe Kelly, or Kyle Schwarber. Hit me with it. It is a gentleman. Oh, yeah. Here it is. By the name Come of on. Drew. What? Okay. Uh, Drew Smiley. Drew. Who else is Drew out there? Andrew Miller. Uh, Andrew Chafin. Verhagen. Okay. That's made up. It's not the a real name. Cardinals have signed. Not a real name. Right-handed pitcher Drew Verhagen to a two-year deal worth $5.5 million. He pitched for the Tigers from 2014 to oh, 2019. Good. The Tigers are great. He played in the NPB over the last two years. He will earn $2.5 million this year, $3 million next year. He's got another million dollars in performance bonuses each of the next couple of seasons. Alex, this is this is the swing guy that we've been talking so much about. Tanner, hit the opening music again. Let's celebrate. <laughs> this is this is the guy that's going to be able to come in and potentially fill that role that we've been talking about with uh, Colin McHugh. This is their version of Colin McHugh. They've been going super aggressive in the international market, and that's what they decided to do here. Let's set up that off to the side for a second. This is not a a big huge massive signing you know what the difference though is he's not colin McHugh. so please let's move past okay this. so drew verhagen congratulations very excited to see you on the cardinals but World more Series. importantly baseball is back and alex i told you yesterday when baseball returns we've got to pour some good whiskey for us so i brought in a store pick knob creek single barrel select can we be doing this 
Is this, I poured is this one allowed? for you, my friend. Is I poured one for myself. Did you pour one Cheers for to all of you in St. Louis. We are broadcasting live at the E&B Granite Studio, the Centene Community Ice Center. Well, and we poured ourselves a nice little drink for today as we wow. celebrate the you return of baseball. significantly poured more for you than me. I see how that is. We're officially back, right? We're all back on board. As much as we were frustrated by the offseason and the lockout, now that free agency is open, guys are reporting for spring training. We're all back. We're good. I really wish we could go back and, and relive yesterday, though, because the the Jekyll and Hyde Cheers. BK and Ferrario show started off with that optimism, what BK just had, the excitement. I was the pessimist. And then about, what would you say, 1230, we both got excited. Yep. And we, all three of us said, it's back, we're believing. I said maybe by the end of this week, but it wasn't getting done today. And then we ended the show. We ended the show sounding like a group of men that were told, guess what? You're not going to live to see tomorrow because we all sounded like it was over. And then, of course, boom, it hits. BK is running up and down the hallways of 101 ESPN like he was just got the golden ticket from Willy Wonka. <laughs> he tackled me. Tanner's in here just spraying coffee all over the place. That's when you know baseball is officially back. And the moment that I heard John Mozeliak's dulcet tones last night, when I knew it was back, baby. Man, when we got the announcement that the Cardinals were having a uh, an, an, a press conference, it didn't say who it was. It just said the Cardinals are announcing a press conference tonight at 6.30. I was so happy. <laughs> it, it was baseball officially back. Alex. <laughs> oh, man. Baseball's back, T-Bone. Are you pumped? What just happened to you? Alex just tried the whiskey <laughs> to say that he was surprised by it would be quite the understatement. Yeah, never again. <laughs> never again. Should have oh, given him a shot that? of like seltzer yeah. or something like that. Oh, buddy, that's a sipper. No, it's not. <laughs> Tanner, are you officially back on board? Absolutely, I'm back on board. Everything is right again now that baseball is back. I am so stoked, especially because the Cardinals are the first team to jump the market, and I don't think they're done either. I expect another bullpen arm and potentially even bringing in a bench bat as well. I think the Cardinals are going to be active, and just the fact of the matter that baseball is back and we're having these conversations instead of the stupid CBT and dealing with an inter- the international draft and all the little fine details that were involved in the CBA. Absolutely. I'm back. I am so excited to have baseball back. I am too. When I saw that this was announced yesterday and somebody on the text line, six, five, seven, eight, Oh, is your comfort service text line. If you want to get involved in the show, that's the place to do it. Somebody said the last thing that you guys said was that this would, this offer would be dead on arrival because the executive board voted no on it. Absolutely. That was what my thought was. They voted 8-0 to to decline the offer that the owner sent them. I think we learned something important yesterday. The rank and file was not on the same page as the guys that were on the executive board. That became increasingly clear throughout the process, but really yesterday at the very end, when unanimously the executive board decided to say no to their offer from the owners, and then the players decided to agree to it almost unanimously there were only four teams i believe it was that actually decided to say no including the cardinals by the way so that surprised the hell out of me i think a lot of people were surprised by that but now that we have a deal frankly i don't care anymore i don't care about any of that stuff we can put all of that to the side and now we get to talk about what's in this deal and alex there were some things that i found to be really interesting as we learn more and more about this overnight 
One thing, let's go through these individually. We now have officially the 12-team playoff. That means the end of the wild card game. There is no more one and done when you get into the playoffs. There are going to be six teams in each league that make the playoffs. You're going to have two teams from each league, both of which will be division winners. You can't have the second best record and then jump into that bye. No, the wild card teams will play in the wild card round. The two best divisional records will get that bye. And then the final divisional winner will have uh, will face the lowest ranked wild card team and they will host all three games in the wild card round so you have a best of three in the wild card round home team from what i understand will host all three of those games best of three and then you move on to the second round into the uh the divisional series i gotta be honest guys i like this i like the setup i think this is going to be good for baseball i think it's better than having a one game playoff i like the wild card game it allowed us to have some really entertaining individual moments I really like the format that they decided to go with. What do you think of the new playoff format? I like Alex? the formatting as well. Um, you know, the one thing I didn't like about those wild cards is what we saw with the Cardinals and Dodgers because I felt like we would have had a competitive series if they would have been able to play three games. But because you're talking about one game and one pitch in what was it, extra innings, late innings, you're talking about the whole opportunity for the playoffs being over for the Cardinals. So yeah, I love the option of this, and frankly, it does take away. As much as people will push back and say, no, it doesn't, I feel like it does take away a little bit more of the tanking role because some teams feel like they have a chance to get into it now. Yeah, I, I like it as well. I, I The one-game wild card, I didn't mind it, but baseball is about series. So going to best-of-three series, I actually like seeing that. And the format is, I actually think, really well. Two teams get a bye, and then you got three wild cards and one division winner that has to play. I don't mind it. It reminds me a lot of the NFL. It's basically set up like the NFL uh, playoffs yep. from a couple of years ago. So I, I think it's a perfect setup. I don't mind this expanded playoff format at all. So the other thing that co- goes away with this, you will have no more game 163. All the playoff spots are going to be determined if there is any sort of a tie with a tiebreaker similar to, as Tanner mentioned, the NFL's old tiebreaker formulas that they go through. The other thing that is changing, and we didn't hear about this really until yesterday. It kind of came up at the very end. It snuck up on us. Alex, I know this is something you in particular are very excited about. Starting in 2023, the baseball schedule will feature fewer divisional games, and every team will play at least one series against every other opponent in baseball, including in the other league, the exact format still be to be determined, but this means that, for example, Albert Pujols went nine years without playing in St. Louis. That would not happen under this format. Now, my assumption would be every other year, you're going to get a home series against at least each of those teams in the American League and certainly in the National League as well. What do you think about this, the new scheduling format, fewer divisional games, more games against international or inter, interleague games? I absolutely loved this. And if there was one thing that I got more excited about than baseball being back was hearing that this was going to be the thing for next year. Look, I, I mean, take the a perfect example is hockey because a few years ago they didn't have it. Like It might, it might have been more than a few years ago. But they used to play the division games, you'd see the Western Conference teams, but you'd only see certain teams in the Eastern Conference. And it wasn't as enjoyable. You want to see the best players in the game. And you wouldn't get to see the Sidney Crosbys maybe once every other year. You wouldn't get to see the Washington Capitals. Now, you get to see all of those teams. And that's the best part about this. Like, if you're telling me that if I'm a Cardinals fan or just a general baseball fan in St. Louis... And I'm not going to stay up till 9 o'clock at night to watch Shohei Otani. But now I know that I'm going to get to see him play the Cardinals at least one time 
hopefully in a season, I'm all into that. So this was a genius move by baseball. And look, they don't need to bro- to grow the brand because the brand is already pretty big. But if you want to get more people involved in the game, make sure every team gets to see the stars around the league. And this is what Major League Baseball did. Tanner, before you get in on this, I do want to say one other thing that I really like about this is with them adding more teams to the playoff via the wild card, I think it's important that you have a little more balance in your schedule so that if you have a terrible division, so for example, if you've got like the AL Central over the last few years where you've really only got one team that's re- that's trying to compete for the playoffs, one of those other teams in the AL Wild or in the in the AL Central might have been able to make a wild card game because they are going up against so many terrible teams so many times within that season. Now that you have the same rules in both leagues, I do think it makes it even easier for you to be able to do this. So I like it even because of the competitive balance that it provides. Instead of the Cardinals playing 38 games this year against the Reds, who are potentially going to be tanking, or next year, rather, and the Pirates, who are definitely always tanking, I think this is going to help provide a little more balance for the rest of the league and that you don't have that kind of uh, lopsided schedule for certain divisions. Tanner, what do you think about it? Yeah, I absolutely love it because I like the fact in, like, as Alex mentioned, the NHL, you get to see every team at least once a year. Now, the NHL, you get to see them both home and away. But honestly, if I get to see everybody, and as Alex mentioned, the Angels were the first team that came to mind, where if I get to see Mike Trout once a year and every other year he's here in St. Louis, I absolutely love that. I think that's good for the game of baseball. And, And part of the reason, too, I mean, you mentioned it. I mean, For the Cardinals, for example, do you really want to watch the Pirates and the Reds that much? No. So the fewer games against them that I can take away, I think the better. And and especially because I think it was it wasn't September. I think it may have been in August. The Cardinals had a stretch in which they were playing the Pirates. I think they had like nine games against them. And in August, the Pirates are already out of it. And there's just real no excitement. Sure, the Cardinals are playing and it's we're going to watch it because we're going to pay attention to it. We love Cardinals baseball, but it's not fun watching them just beat up on the Pirates. I like to see competitive games, and if I get to pull away more games against, uh, pull less games away from these non-competitive teams in your division like Pittsburgh always is, and get more competitive games against teams that are in the American League that you see once every six years now, absolutely I love it. And I think this is a great thing for the game of baseball to do this, and I'm glad that they decided to do it, and they were able to do it while in the midst of CBA negotiations. The one thing I don't think this CBA fixed was tanking. Now, I think they did one thing in particular to help curb it a little bit, They did not fix it, though, in this negotiation. The way you would have done that was by implementing a floor. There's only so many things that you can accomplish in one CBA. It probably shouldn't have been expected that that would have uh, officially go away just based on this negotiation. What they did do, Alex, is they added a wrinkle to the Major League Baseball draft. So the amateur draft that you see each and every year. This is not the international draft. This is the regular draft that we've talked about for years. So a big market club one that pays into the revenue sharing pool. So we're talking about the Yankees, the Mets, the Dodgers, those sorts of teams can't get a lottery pick more than one season in a row. So out of the top, what is it? The top five, you can only do that once. And then the following season, you would have to be bounced out to at least the 10th overall pick. So you can only pick in the top five one year. And then the next time around, you'd be picking 10th or below a small market club, one that receives money from that revenue sharing pool can't be a part of the lottery more than two years in a row. The reason I like this is it allows for the league 
to curb that ability for teams to just get a top five pick three, four, five years in a row. So think about the Cubs, the Astros, the Royals back in the day, the Pirates right now. Those teams that are very clearly aiming for a top five pick, and really a lot of them want to get that number one overall pick multiple years in the row. So they've got multiple bites at that apple to try to get elite talent in the draft. That is now going to go to the wayside. I think that is good. This does not eliminate tanking because there are teams that are just going to try to keep as much money as they can while not spending on their payroll. I see you, Pirates. But it does at least help curb some of that a little bit. So I like what they're doing with the draft. I think it's going to help curb against some of these teams. I do not think it fixes tanking, though. No, the only way you're going to fix tanking is like you mentioned. you got to put a cap floor, and you weren't going to get that yep. this year. So you're going to see it. And this year might stink because of it, but that's why I like 2023s with a new schedule to where you don't have to see those teams as much now. You can get away from those tanking teams because how many teams tank in Major League Baseball in one season? I mean, it's got to be less than a handful. So hopefully probably about five or six. Yeah, I mean, hopefully it gets fixed in the next time that we come back around with this. But I mean, look, if that's the worst part about all of these negotiations is that you're still going to have some of these teams tanking, and you're right, this does fix it. And I love the idea of a draft lottery, even though I still think there's conspiracy theories that go into the draft lotteries. And if you don't believe me, go back and watch a couple of the last NHL ones. Are you big on the frozen ping pong ball? Uh, I'm better on the frozen ping pong ball than I am the stupid poster boards that the NHL have done in the past, and they, like, hold it up like, oh, hey, the Chicago Blackhawks. They just went from 16th to number four because they need some stars. I digress. But, yes, I think this helps it. You're still going to see it. But now that you get a different-looking schedule in 2023, you don't have to see them as much, which is nice. The Cardinals have announced officially the signing of Drew Verhagen. John Mosellock has some comments. He said, we have been following Drew the past two seasons in, in Japan while he's been playing overseas. We believe he will compete for a starting job, but could easily transition to the bullpen if needed. We are excited to have Drew join our organization that is the first move that has been made by any club since the lockout has been uh officially come to an end coming up next we're going to talk about what else the cardinals could do in free agency where they need to improve this club and what other clubs around the national league could be doing around them we'll do it all coming up next here on 101 espn we're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Mike McKenna, the former NHL goalie, joins us coming up here in about 10 minutes or so to talk about the Blues' big win last night against the Rangers. They just destroyed New York that last night. That wasn't even a game. That was pond hockey for the Blues. Is it good when you are able to uh, chase a potential Hart Trophy candidate away from the game roughly 15 seconds into the second uh, period? You know, I would think so, but a lot of people commented to me last night saying, He's not the best goaltender in the National okay. Hockey League. Okay. Well, we're going to get into that coming up here What's in about I score 10 me? minutes or so. Did but I break it? 
I do want to talk a little bit about what the Cardinals' plans are in the free agency market. If you missed it, they have already made one signing today. They decided to sign Drew Verhagen, a pitcher coming over from the NPB. He signed a two-year, $5.5 million deal. If you've heard us talk at all about Colin McHugh, that's essentially the role that they're probably going to want this Verhagen to play. He'll be in the bullpen, but he can stretch out. He might be the type of guy that allows them to just put Jake Woodford down in AAA to open up the year, and then when they need a sixth starter, maybe Woodford becomes that guy. So that's probably the role that he will play. What about the hitting side of things, though? Are the Cardinals going to be active in finding a DH? Here's what John Mosellock said last night about that to the local media. Well, I think uh, you know we have to internally decide where we want to put our remaining resources, and based on what we have, um, you know, there's some young players that we are excited about and, you know, do we feel like they're ready for this challenge or do we think there's a short-term solution that might better position ourselves? But those are some of the discussions I do want to have over the next few days as well with the staff. But, um, you know, that's something that uh, I still feel like I need to connect with different agents in the meantime. The obvious options internally, Alex, are guys like Brendan Donovan, Juan Yepes, Lars Newtbar. I think those are going to be the early season options. Later on, maybe you could see a guy like Nolan Gorman getting some reps there. I know the Cardinals have talked in the past about wanting to get days off in the field for Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado. They can get opportunities at DH as well. I think with this team, they have so much value placed in their defense that I don't know how much you actually want to be doing that. So I would prefer them not use too many days with those guys playing DH. But I do think they need to go out there and add a DH. I think it should be a one-year deal. I would love to see them get Nelson Cruz, but uh, too old. whether it's him or a Colin Moran or a Jorge Soler, like he's not my favorite option, but one of those guys that could come in and just take some of the pressure off of the young guys, give them the opportunity to get their feet wet before they are counted upon to be a legit five or six hole hitter for you. I think this team does need to add a little bit more offense to the lineup. And I think the easiest place to do that, in my opinion, is at DH with a one-year deal. Do you think they will do that, though, Alex? Um, I don't think they will do it unless it falls into their lap. And and I was thinking of this last night when I heard Mo make those comments. uh, And Tinfoil Ferrario came out of nowhere. T-Bone hit the open. No, he didn't have (laughs) the open ready. I know. Um I know they've talked a lot about Paul DeYoung and how they feel like he can get back to himself. And again, this is tinfoil, but if the Trevor Story thing is actually a possibility where maybe he takes a Josh Donaldson deal like he did with the Atlanta Braves for one year and then gets that big deal with the Minnesota Twins, I think that can be your way into this because Ali Marmol is all about platooning. He's all about using guys in different positions. Well, you could use a Paul DeYoung at shortstop, but you could also use a Paul DeYoung at the DH position. You could use Trevor Story at the shortstop and at a DH position. And then you still have Lars Nupar, who's your fourth outfielder. You still have Juan Yepes, who can get in on days off at first base, but also be the DH for you. There's a lot of platooning options if you go get a guy who fits into your everyday role as well, rather than just solely a DH position. Because if he's not DH... Well, then he's on the bench and he's a pinch hitter. I think we all can agree. Nelson Cruz does not need to be playing outfield for you at any time this season. He looked good in right back in 2011. Yes, he did. He looked great for the Cardinals. But if you can get a guy who fills a need for you, like Trevor Story at shortstop, well, then you got your platoon options 
but you know somebody's going to be playing in an impactful role every single game, and it does exactly what you've talked about, BK, of protecting Juan Yepes, protecting, I don't think you need to protect Lars Nupar. He did very well for himself, but protecting Nolan Gorman, giving those guys ample opportunities to get up to the level that you need them to, but it also fills your biggest hole in shortstop. See, I think they're going to explore the market, but I, I don't know if they're going to go get someone like a Trevor Story, though, to do it, even if it is a one-year deal. Because I think if they're going to do it, look, I still think they're going to add another bullpen arm. I, I think they're going to get someone like they a— They don't need to. They got Drew Verhagen. He's a starter. I, I, th- I think they're going to get. I think they're going to bring in a Tapera, someone like that. Because yeah. I, I, I still think they need that seventh-inning guy, and I don't think Verhagen's that guy. So I, I think they're going to go get another bullpen arm, and then I think they'll kick the waters in seeing if they can get someone like a— Colin Moran, that could be the DH. I, I don't know if Pujols would be the guy that would fit in terms of what they're looking for. you don't want to for. block Juan Yepes, though. Exactly, exactly. Uh, that's a good point, Ferrario. But I, I think they will kick. I, I think they will kick the tires on some people. I just don't know if they're going to make the move. I think they're going to allocate the rest of their funds towards potentially a bullpen arm, and then again, maybe it is someone like a Colin Moran that's going to take a one-year, five million dollar deal, something like that. I mean, listen to how many guys could potentially project to be this type of a player for the Cardinals. This is just a brief list that I came up with of of possible DHs. You didn't put any time into it. You just jotted them down. Colin Moran, Mitch Moreland, Travis Shaw, Corey Dickerson, Brad Miller, Eddie Rosario, Jock Peterson, Jorge Soler, Nelson Cruz, uh, uh, Anthony Rizzo. Like, that's just, that's some of the guys. I think every single one of those players is going to settle for a one or a two-year deal. And they will be somewhere between, like, from the bottom of that list, maybe $3 million to the top of that be somewhere around 10 to $12 million. I don't think you're going to have to pay a ton for this. And if they're willing to go out there and improve this offense in potentially a significant way, I think all of these players, every single one of them that I just mentioned, adds more certainty to your lineup. Even if they don't end up, like if you added, uh, Colin Moran's a guy that I know that we've talked a lot about. He's a left-handed Love hitter. Him. He hits righties pretty well. Like he, he, you know exactly what Colin Moran is and what he is not. Adding a guy like that to your lineup, he might not be your starting DH by the end of the year. It might be Juan Yepes. It could end up being Nolan Gorman being over him, and that's fine. If you end up signing a Colin Moran to a one-year $3 million deal and he's a bench bat for you, man, that can be a good thing. That means you just added depth to your roster, and especially if they are going to end up going to a 28-man roster early in the season, I think that definitely would potentially help them out. So I'm all in favor of them doing it. I do not think they're going to go to the $20 million per year player, even if it is on a one-year deal, even if I disagree with that. But I do think that they should, and I think they will go out there and add one more bat. I just don't know where on that spectrum it's going to be. Like, I, I think it's probably more likely that it's Colin Moran than it's than that it is Anthony Rizzo or Nelson Cruz. Oh, my God. Please be Anthony Rizzo. But I, I think that it's possible you could see somewhere in the in the intermediary piece as well. Like, maybe it is a Jock Peterson on a one-year deal worth 8 to $10 million. I, I think something like that is possible. The other thing that I wanted to get to before we talk to Mike McKenna, former NHL goalie on the other side, Man, this market is going to be fascinating because it seems like every other team around the National League is connected to the top free agents right now. There was reports this morning that Carlos Correa at least has interest in and the Cubs are potentially interested in adding him. That would be interesting to me. Uh, You look at Freddie Freeman. The talk is he's probably going to be looking at the Braves or the Dodgers. Maybe the Yankees get involved there. You look at Trevor Story. I have no idea where he's going to land, and I do think, Alex, if he opens up to a one-year deal similar to Josh Donaldson, that brings a whole lot of teams into the mix. Maybe they end up looking at him in, uh, in, 
in Chicago as well instead of a Carlos Correa. Chris Bryant, there's talks this morning that the Phillies might get involved in his market. So the top four, five, six guys, it seems like every single one of them is at least involved with one of the top National League teams that the Cardinals are going to be competing with this year. I love that. That's why I was so excited when they said that the the lockout was lifted last night at, what was it, 6 Mm o'clock Eastern, that all the free agents can start talking because this is what you want. And and I think this is the way free agency is supposed to be, where the big names come off the board immediately. And to have this possibility, the the Chris Bryant of Phillies, that's scary to think about, but it's also exciting to think about. So I hope we see a lot of this over the next couple of days, a flurry of these big names, because that just makes it even better for baseball. And heck, give me some, give me some powerhouse teams, make some evil empires in major league baseball to get some villains, to make it even more exciting. It's going to be a lot of fun, man. A whole lot of free agency coming up over the next few days. I have to imagine. And uh, the Cardinals got it all started. Drew Verhagen, your new reliever here in St. Louis. Big power move. Someone texted in on the air comfort service text line six, five, seven, eight, Oh, saying, man, this is a Cardinals move. I just Googled drew Verhagen and 13 LinkedIn articles popped up and not (laughs) one of them were his. That, that checks out. Coming up in 15 minutes. He's going to get a minutes, Cy Young Award this year. We get to Ask Us Anything. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line if you've got a question for Ask Us Anything. But coming up next, Mike McKenna, former NHL goalie, now an analyst for the Daily Faceoff, joins us. There are even more defensemen that have entered the chat as possibilities for the Cardinals. Which one of them does Mike McKenna Blues. think makes the most? Stop saying Cardinals, man. The Blues played Baseball great last back, night. Though, baby. No, Blues playoffs is coming. Mike McKenna talks about the Blues next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Blues ended their four-game losing streak last night in some impressive fashion. The Blues end up taking down a legit contender in the Eastern Conference in the New York Rangers, and they do so by a score of 6-1. to Six to two. Six to two. Six Come to on, two. man. Watch Last the night in St. Louis, alongside Alex Ferrario you know, Tanner Hendrickson, I am Brandon Kylie. We are going out now to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line to be joined by former NHL goalie, now an analyst for the Daily Faceoff. He is Mike McKenna joining us for his weekly hit here on BK and Ferrario. Mike, we appreciate the time as always, man. How you doing today? Doing good. Just disappointed we didn't get more snow. I can't believe it. I, I thought we were going to get like two inches. Nothing. <laughs> Dusting. I'm still waiting for the best chance to go sledding. The two times it snowed this year in St. Louis, yeah. I've been out of town. That's Unbelievable. Right. I feel Mike like I've been shortchanged. Mike hasn't even gotten in to enjoy the, the snow because it's both times you've been gone. Have your daughters yeah. enjoyed it? Oh, yeah, of course. But I didn't get to enjoy it with them. So uh, it's, been, it's been tough. But you know what? Maybe there's still hope. And if not, I don't plan on going anywhere. So I have to wait till <laughs> next year in St. Louis. Mike, I got a question non-Blues, and we'll get to Blues in just a bit, but I thoroughly loved last night Buffalo and Vegas as Buffalo was about as ruthless as you can get with Jack Eichel, and then Jack Eichel throws the shade afterwards and said, oh, it took him about seven years and for me to leave for them to get excited about hockey. That is, uh, that's going to be an interesting rivalry moving forward. Dude, that was wild. Like, the whole game itself was. Like, I hosted – I was on air yesterday for three hours. I said, you know what? 
I really think that it's going to be more cheers than boos. That's what I think is going to happen in Buffalo. You know, Eichel was their best player for these years, and I thought that the people appreciated him. And but and then the first thing out there, oh, like I mean, like giving it to them. Like we're not talking a smattering of boos. They were just absolutely all over Jack Eichel. And then the Golden Knights lose to the Sabres, which should not happen. And on top of that, the first guy that scored for Buffalo was Peyton Krebs, who was part of the Jack Eichel trade. And then the exclamation point at the end of the game was Alex Tuck winning a board battle against Jack Eichel to strip him of the puck at the blue. When the Vegas Golden Knights had an extra attacker on the ice, Alex Tuck, again, another part of that trade for Jack Eichel, goes down to the other end. And he fires one off the bar into the empty net as hard as I've seen in a long time. Like, you know how most people just deposit the puck in the empty net? He tried to put it through it. So there was all kinds of drama. And then afterwards, Eichel's comments were just, like, he spent the whole day leading up to it, or two days leading up to it, saying, no, no bitterness, everything's good, fans are great, organization great. Dude, he just flips the script, dude, and just straight up says, these people are just mad I'm not here anymore. After they lost, like, oh, you want to wear the black hat around and be the villain, dude? You got it, Jack Eichel. You are you are now dead to people in Buffalo. So I tell you what, man, that was some high drama, and I'm here for it. I love it. It, it was. I was really hoping Pavel Buchnevich had that chance in New York and unfortunately, mm-hmm. he didn't get it, although he had his breakaway opportunities. But I would imagine as a former player, Mike, where you go up against your team, even if you're not playing, that had to be pretty sweet for Pavel Buchnevich to watch his team pretty much dominate the Rangers all night last night. And on top of it, get his buddy and the best goaltender right now in the National Hockey League chased in the second period. Yeah, that was pretty wild to see, man. Like, and, you know, it's a little different dynamic when you're not playing in it. And it's Buchnevich was the captain of the New York Rangers. He was a big piece, but he wasn't Eichel territory. Uh, and it wasn't really a contentious thing as much as Eichel were involved in medical procedure that the team wanted to, didn't want to do and the player wanted to do. And But you still want to always beat your old club. And I tell you what, man, I was flipping back and forth between these two games last night, and I missed a couple of minutes, and all of a sudden, oh, my gosh, Blues are up three rip. You know, <laughs> it was instantaneous. And I go back and look at it, and then go, man, yeah, they just chased who I think, right? Shostyrkin's the best goaltender in the world, okay? They chased him. And that hasn't happened. I don't think it's happened all season. If it has, it's only been once. And, and I tell you what, I'm not a coach, and I probably should never be a coach. <laughs> But I would never, ever, ever split up Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo, man. Those two guys are just sick together. Like, the, the, the intuition that Thomas has at times where Cairo's going to be and how to create the space in the lane to make it happen, like spinning off the defenseman to his backhand to make a blind pass through the slot right on the tape. Are you kidding me? Like, I understand that sometimes we can get frustrated watching – Thomas, Kairou, maybe they look for a little bit too much, maybe too east-west at times. But, man, when they focus in and can get going together, they're just sick together, man. That's that's a dynamic duo you can only hope of drafting and developing from within. It's interesting that you, that you mentioned that because, I mean, we, we had talked about the Blues and their struggles and their four-game losing streak. And, uh, I mean, Mike, neither me nor Alex were concerned about them, which is a weird thing, right? Because you, when you're in the midst of a four-game losing streak and it happens against the Islanders, the Devils, and the Senators, most of the time you're probably going to be a little concerned about your team. 
I never felt that way about the Blues. I just assumed we were eventually going to see a night like last night where they break out of it, and they did so last night against a really good team and specifically an outstanding goalie, as you mentioned. Uh, What is it about this team in your mind that allows them to do that, where they they are just – they had a breakthrough suddenly? What – What's good about it is that it happens, but it worries me too because they are so Jekyll and Hyde at times. You know, you'll watch the Blues one game and they're just nowhere. And then they come out on fire the next. And it's like there still needs to be the consistency there night in and night out. And I think that's what really when, you've, when you hear Ryan O'Reilly's comments, especially over the four-game span where they weren't winning, you can hear that come through that, hey, we just we have got to find our identity, identity and stick to it. And the key for me is that the Blues did it right away last night. You know, if they start the game the way they should and get a little bit of success, like they need a little taste, they need a little carrot there, like getting your first goal of the game helps. But to just roll it, another goal right afterwards, the moment Barbashev scored, I knew that game was done. Like, because you could just feel that with the Blues, right? Like, we've we've watched this. You can, you can see that happening. And then you get the huge save from Huso. Like, I mean, a couple of just 10 bellers in the first. And when those things start to line up, it's good. I just think that it's got to be there more often. You know, and you can't always expect your goalie to pull you out in the first. You got to be on your game right away. And I would be hesitant, though, to say that they're back. That comment made me nervous because uh, you know how it is. One game doesn't make a season, but I do think it's been better lately. I, I love, man, I love seeing Nico Mikola drop the mitts. Like, yep. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's like, dude, this is what you need to see here, man. Like, I, I was encouraged by that. Um, and it just, for me, it looked like an invested game. They were spirited in it. Yeah, they, they had the energy, which which was noticeable from the get-go. And, you know, for me, Mike, I thought Marco Scandella had a really good game. Mm-hmm. I believe he was plus three afterwards. Um, Nico Mikola, as you mentioned, I thought had a great game. Colton Pareko, Justin Falk, they looked good defensively. But for me, that doesn't change my mind. And now there's five games to go before the trade deadline on March 21st. And, Mike, the yo-yo game continues because I got another name for you. And you tell me if you like it or you hate it. Travis... Sanheim from the Philadelphia Flyers. Well, I've played with Travis Sanheim. I like him. I think he's probably being dangled out there now that Ristolainen signed that five-year contract with the Philadelphia Flyers. But I'm not sure that Sanheim would be much of an upgrade for the Blues. You feel me on that one? Like, I think he would slot in nicely. Um, I think the Blues are still looking for a bigger splash. Like, I think you're still looking at at Sherrod, or, or now especially I think Hampus Lindholm is a name that could really be on their radar. Somebody that does everything really well, um, and especially with the Ducks now, I'm not sure that they're in the mood to to really hang on to assets unless they think they can do a deal the way they please with Pat Verbeek. So I, I think Sandheim would be a complimentary piece, but he also does have a year left at a pretty high cap hit, and I think that the Blues might be looking more towards a pure rental on the back end this year. That's just my guess if they were going to do it. Um, but I do like Sanheim. He's a good player, and he does seem to be on the way out in Philly. Um, but, yeah, you're, you're, what you said about Scandella is important. Like they, they needed, I think they needed him back in the lineup, but you also don't know how it's going to play out. What are the six going to be in playoffs? Like You may see somebody that has been a mainstay, even out of the lineup come playoffs, if the Blues are able to make the trade that they want to solidify the back end. 
Can I ask you about another name that emerged this morning from Jeremy Rutherford's reporting? Uh, and that is Carson Soucy, the defenseman. He's in the third pair right now for uh, the Seattle Kraken, but he's a guy that can play up in the lineup if needed. Is that not enough of a splash in your mind, or do you think he would fit a little bit better even uh, than a Sanheim? Well, and Soucy, remember Soucy is who the Minnesota basically let go at uh, they didn't protect him, I should say, for the expansion draft, which was um, kind of surprising. You know, I thought that there was a couple other players that they might have. Good defensemen for the Wild, um, but a little bit older. And, you know, the year in Seattle has been, you'd, you'd think it'd be a miserable season, but he's actually done a nice job for them. So I, I like Susie a lot. If he becomes available, it's definitely somebody I'd be interested in. He has a left-hand shot, which... You know, that seems to be fit the mold for what the Blues would want. Um, but I'd be, I would be kind of surprised if Seattle wouldn't hang on to Susie just because he's 27 years old uh, and they're trying to grow that franchise a little bit. But then again, if you get somebody with value like him, we've all seen what defensemen can go for at the trade deadline. David Savard got a first-rounder last year coming from the Columbus Blue Jackets to the Tampa Bay Lightning. And David Savard is a 5'6 defenseman on the Tampa Bay Lightning. If the Seattle Kraken can get something that's even remotely close to that for Carson Soucy and they're trying to build out that franchise, you have to think that they would take advantage of it. Um, Soucy would be a good piece. I would like him as a blue. I'd like him more in Sanheim. I'll say that. Uh, Mike, final one from me, and I've seen a lot of people, Elliot Friedman was talking about it yesterday, that you know the Blues are, are still considered to be talking about Jacob Chikrin. Ben Sherrod, of course, is the name that pops up. Should fans move on from Jacob Chikrin, or do you believe that that's still a real possibility for Doug Armstrong? I don't think Chikrin really is. If anything, I think that this might be uh, the classic drive-up-the-price type of play. I love I love this type of stuff. Like, I'm not a poker player at all, but when it comes to – contracts and when it comes to a certain board game that I like to play called Daytona 500 that involves some betting and if we could go into a whole side conversation about this uh, any of my close friends know what we're talking about I love bidding people up and I think that there's teams out there right now that would be in direct competition with the Blues for Chikrin that the Blues would like to see have to pay a little extra on it. You know, you look at the Western Conference, the L.A. Kings, that's a team that the Blues may have to go through. If they're going to pick up Chikrin, you know, you're always going to face them. What are they willing to give up? Even the Florida Panthers. So uh, I'm not sure that the Blues are truly in on Chikrin unless they could get him uh, at a price that's lower than what I think it's going to take because he's a hell of a player. And he's been playing much better lately. You know, he's he's got some activated defensemen with him now that uh, – that Toronto picked up Labushkin had been his partner previous this year. It wasn't a good pairing for him. So I don't know. I don't really see Chikrin ended up in the blue, but man, I love the poker that Doug Armstrong plays sometimes because you never know how you can force another team to overplay their hand. He's Mike McKenna. We hear from him each and every week on Fridays here on 101 ESPN. Mike, we appreciate the time as always, man. Enjoy your weekend. And I'm sorry that the snow just didn't accumulate the way that you were looking for. And let's hope it doesn't. Mixed reactions on the call today. That's all right. It's St. Louis, man. We get all four seasons. We should just be happy that we get that. That's true. Save the snow for June, right? <laughs> sure. Yep. All right. Thanks for having me on as always, guys. Always Appreciate a good chat. You. That's Thanks, Mike McKenna Mike. joining us here on 101 ESPN. We'll get more into the Blues trade deadline plans coming up in the 12 o'clock hour. But coming up next, 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Ask Us Anything here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 
ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe? Text now to 65780. It's BK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for Ask Us Anything. Let's start with this one from the 314. Guys, would you say that Thomas and Cairo are the new Hull and Oates? Alex, I think this was directed to you, buddy. Well, um, I would say that they're the new Hull and Oates. I mean, they're, they're the they're the second-tier Hull and Oates because you can't have another Hull and Oates, but you can sure as hell have the second tier. And, ladies and gentlemen, 18 and 25 are it. Robert Thomas has taken that step. Robert Thomas is an elite NHL hockey player right now, the way that he is playing. Now that he's actually scoring goals and he's shooting consistently, Alex, he's up to 10 goals on the season. He's already matched a career high and as of last night, set a new career high in points with 44. He had four shots on goal last night. Like that man just basically said, blank this, I'm going to shoot the puck. So you would consider him in in the elite category now? I mean, he's your best center on the team. So, yeah, I mean, if I think that like based on his performance this year, this is not me saying that in the past, Robert Thomas has been better than what Ryan O'Reilly was in the past. I'm saying right now on this Blues roster for now and projecting forward, I think he is your best center. And I I think that the Blues have, by the way, told you that with their actions as well. They've had some minutes and 20 seconds of ice time, nearly five more minutes than Ryan O'Reilly. You guys know he won 72 percent of his faceoffs last night. He's he's an all around player right now. He's playing on the. Hey, he's I, he's right up there this year with Ryan O'Reilly in terms of the minutes on the ice as a shorthanded defender for the Blues. Like, he's been outstanding for them. So, yeah, I, I think that you could consider him to be an elite player right now, given what his playmaking ability is and now that he's on pace for 15 goals this season. That was the one element of his game that was still in question, and it's no longer in question for me. Yeah. I, I, I think before I would say elite status, I would like to see it for the remainder of the season, but I do think he's getting really close to that. I think he's already crossed into the superstar. The same the same category that Jordan Cairo is in, Robert Thomas is in right now. 65780 is the air comfort service text line from the 314. Guys, which outfielder are you most excited to watch this year for whatever reason? Maybe because they're the best or because you're just excited to see how they've developed. Who are you most excited about in the outfield? Tanner, let's start with you on this. Uh, I'm kind of split on this one because it's between O'Neill because Broniel could hit like 40 home runs and he looks even bigger than he did last year from what I saw today on Twitter. With the boys. That's made up. But uh, I think it's actually Dylan Carlson because I think the Cardinals have kind of shown in their actions, they kind of view him as that. We've been saying they need to go get an impact bat, and so far with their actions, I think they view him as that fourth impact bat. He could hit leadoff. He could hit second. If you had to, we, we've seen he hit cleanup as a rookie in the playoffs. So he, I think you could move him around whichever way. He's a switch hitter. I'm interested to see how he develops because I think he's going to be a great player, and I think he's going to take this next step forward this year. I think he's two years away from really hitting his stride and into his prime, but I'm very interested to see what he looks like this year and see what steps he takes to improve. That's where I'm at, too. I mean, I'm really excited about Tyler O'Neill, but I'm more interested in Dylan Carlson because I don't know what to expect. I think with Dylan Carlson, they're telling me that this guy can be a 25 home run hitter and steal, what, 25, 30 bases for you? Uh, Give me that right now. 
but I don't know if I've seen that yet. So that's why I'm really curious and interested in him this season. Spoiler alert. We're working right now on our top 20 most important players for the Cardinals in 2022. Dude. We're, we're going we're gonna to bring that back for this season uh, in spring training. Guys, and so I started hard. my list last night. It was really difficult. Really difficult. I think more so than it was a year ago. And part of the reason why is because, like, all of the outfielders have emerged. And I think that the, I've got a pretty good idea of what they're going to be this year. And that's part of why I'm excited for all three. But I'll give you the answer specifically. I think I'm most excited to see Tyler O'Neill to find out, is what we saw last year real? Like That was a breakout in a way that I didn't expect. He was a legitimate MVP candidate in the National League last season. That's really hard to repeat. Is he going to be able to just now put together Paul Goldschmidt type of numbers regularly offensively? Because if he is, man, that's a $100 million player that you've got in your outfield. So I, I think he's the guy that I'm most excited to see because he could legitimately be a 35 home run, 25 stolen base, gold glove defender in left field. And those guys are, I mean, you don't have to have me tell you how rare they are to find. So he, yeah. he's the guy that I'm most excited for. I think it's pretty even with both of them because, like, I, I would love to see an MVP season. Like, I remember watching the MVP seasons of Albert Pools, but I didn't get to appreciate them as much as I could appreciate them now. So if I can have that from Tyler O'Neill this year, all in. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 15 minutes, we are going to play a game of Cardinals Free Agency Tender. Oh, yeah! <laughs> That's coming up in about 15 minutes. But coming up next, the Blues just dominated without Buchnevich in the lineup. Why was that? Alex has an answer for you next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. The losing streak is over. The St. Louis Blues with a big win last night, 6-2 to two at home against the New York Rangers alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I am Brandon Kiley. Alex, that was an impressive victory. And after the game last night, you guys were able to catch up on the postgame show with Mike Van Ryan about what the Blues learned about themselves in that performance. Here's what he had to say after the matchup. Well, it definitely shows you where you're weak, that's for sure. So it shows you the areas you got to work on. I think, you know, we relaxed a little bit once the score kind of started getting, uh, you know, out of hand a little bit. So we were able to dial it in. I think we did some decent things there in the third. We're really trying to concentrate on closing games out and playing the right way down to the goal line. So hopefully we can continue to do that and build off of that, and that's how you win games. Alex, the Blues scored four goals on 17 shots against the best goalie in the world. They ended up chasing him from the game like 15 seconds into the second period. They win the game 6-2 to two at home, breaking a four-game losing streak. And their defenseman coach decided after the game to talk about what they learned and how they still need to improve upon their game last night. That's what I love about hockey. What would you learn last night from the Blues win against the Rangers? I mean, a lot stuck out to me with that one. I mean, for me, the, the biggest moment in that game last night was the leaders of your team showed up and answered the call from Craig Berube. Craig Berube has been chiming over these last couple of games of we need energy, we need an identity, we need somebody to light the fire, we need guys to get players going, we need a quick first period. 
You know who did it last night? Ryan O'Reilly and David Perron. From the moment that puck dropped, that was the line that started it. It was O'Reilly, it was Perron, and it was Shen. They dumped the puck in, went off to the races. They started the cycle game that Craig Bruby has said has been absent from their game in this four-game losing streak. They started that below the goal line. They were finishing checks. They were forcing the Rangers to create turnovers. And then the first shot on goal, Shesterkin makes the save. Perron bumps into him. Adam Fox comes over, gives him the dirty mitt, tells him, look, back off my goalie. Perron jumps into that immediately and starts grabbing guys. That's a guy who doesn't normally get into extracurriculars, and he did that there. And then the next play, Ryan O'Reilly takes a shot. Keandre Miller kind of cross-checks him, and Riley goes right at him. That's two of your leaders, including your captain, who basically said, boys, we're ready to play you got to be ready to play. And then from there, it was off to the races. They were out shooting the Rangers 11 to nothing in the first 11 minutes of that period. Had three power play opportunities that they draw that they drew all in the offensive zone, didn't convert on them. Huso makes that biggest save of the game on the breakaway with Panarin. And then from there, the Blues said, okay, we're in it now. And they didn't stop. But Van Ryan's right. They also let the foot off the gas when it was 6-1 to one in the second period, and then the Rangers scored the goal to make it 6-2. to two. But I thought they had a good response in the third period to shut it down. But for me, my biggest takeaway was that the leaders of your team showed up and said the, the, the buck stops here with what took place in the last four games. They played Blues hockey. Like, it was just that simple. Last night was Blues hockey. When, when Craig Berube talks on the fast lane about the identity of the team, them simplifying their game, everything that you hear him talking about is what we actually watched last night. The other thing that I don't think we should overlook, and Alex, I know you guys talked about this last night on the postgame show as well, Ville Husso showed up in a big way. The things that we have talked about this year when Jordan Bennington was going through his struggles and when uh, Ville Husso was standing on his head so often – that's what it looks like. Like he, he made a few big saves, probably three or four really big saves for them, and that was enough. That's all they needed out of him. A couple of odd man rushes because of the way that they played. Yes, the more chances that you take on net, sometimes those go the other direction, and you've got to have your goalie make a big play for you. Huso was able to make those. He was able to make one in particular early on in the game, and that got the Blues going. Yep. And that's, that's all they needed. And then the other thing that I wanted to make sure we brought up today was Alexi Torpchenko. Because yes. you mentioned them taking the, the penalty and getting on the power play early on. It was Alexi Torpchenko who has now drawn three penalties and two games up with the Blues. Craig Berube was asked about his performance last night after the game. Here's what he had to say about Torpchenko. Yeah, I mean, so far, but it's early. But, you know, he's done a good job. He did a good job when he was up here before. Uh, we were really happy with him. So, uh, like I said, he, he he's so predictable for me that... Um, you know, you, you enjoy watching it because you know exactly what you're getting every time when you put him out there. Predictable. That's the word that he used when he was criticizing the last two guys that were up in Costin and Joshua because they weren't predictable enough as players. Now he's saying Torpchenko, we know exactly what we're going to get out of him. He's driving to the net consistently. There was that play, I think it was Braden Shin, who dropped the puck in, but he shot it 
off of uh, fr- from the back wall behind the net, and it came back as essentially a pass to Toropchenko, and he knew Toropchenko was going to be there because he knows when we get into a breakaway situation, he's driving to the front of the net. That's the kind of thing that they were missing from their fourth-line players previously. I have been so impressed with Toropchenko, man. Last night, he ends the game with three hits. He was a plus-one on the ice. He was the one that set up the, the extra-man attacker when Jake Wallman scored his goal. I don't know if he's going to be able to sustain this because the way he's playing right now, he's playing with so much energy that gets exhausting. And eventually he is probably going to take a step back and you're going to see him regress a bit. But the player that he is right now is exactly the type of player that we're talking about the Blues needing to acquire at the deadline. If he keeps this up over the next four games, Alex, I do wonder what that means for them when it comes to their trade deadline plans. I'm not sure you need to add a fourth-line player if Alexi Torpchenko can keep this up. I agree. Um, you know, it's it's it was last night's game where it was a lot more prevalent than the one against the Ottawa Senators, obviously because you lost that game, but... You only saw maybe about six or seven minutes out of Torpchenko, if I'm not mistaken. He played 13 minutes last night, and he's not playing 13 minutes of a fourth-line role. He got five total shot attempts, two shots that went on goal. And on top of it, Craig Berube was shifting him up with the uh, Brandon Sod and Logan Brown line. Like he was Brown shift- was getting downshifted, too, by the way. Yeah. Your, your boy is just not – he's not in their plans. I'm sorry. Well, he's a top six player. He's not a bottom six player. I know. You can't play in the bottom six role if you're a top six guy. It just mm-hmm. doesn't work. You're going to put Pavel Buchnevich on the, the fourth line and see if he – come on, man. <laughs> Better opinions. Than I, know, I know Pavel could do it on the fourth my, line. My game. Well, they scored six goals last night without him. Or <laughs> What are you talking about, T-Bum? Look, Torpchenko brings the energy. The Senators game, he lays the big hit. He's not afraid to use his offense. He's just confident. He moves the needle, as Craig Berube mentions. But what you just said, T- uh, BK, is is where I'm at with a fourth-line role. Let's see it sustained because we saw a couple of games of Clem Costin look great, and yep. then he disappeared. We saw a game of Dakota Joshua where you're texting me saying, oh, there's your answer, Dakota Joshua's great, and then he disappeared. Torpchenko's going to have to do this on a consistent basis, and I think the best measuring stick to find out if Torpchenko's ready for this is Saturday afternoon against the Nashville Predators because they hit, they play physical, they don't mess around, and Torpchenko's going to have to step his game up. But if, if, if they have Tyler Bozak available for him and if Oscar Sundquist can play and that line does well against Nashville, you might have just answered your fourth line problems, and that might be the fourth line you're looking at down the stretch. Last thing on the Blues before we get to some Cardinals free agency tender on the other side. Do you go back to Huso tomorrow against Nashville? I, I don't think it really matters in a big way because you got the back-to-back, so you're going to go to Huso one night or one day, and then you'll go to Bennington the other. But because of the way that Huso played against New York, do you go to him on Saturday, and then you go back to Bennington on Sunday against Winnipeg? No, I think I would go Bennington tomorrow. Um, just because it's on the road, it's against Nashville. And look, that's a big-time opponent for Bennington. I, that might be the biggest opponent for him, if I'm not mistaken, in, in a while. Like, I can't remember the big-time opponent that he has played since then because he didn't play against the Rangers Calgary. previously. The it Calgary was a 7-1 game. loss against so Calgary. So this is the biggest. This is going to be a, okay, let's see what you got, Benner, because you're on the road, you're against Nashville. I'd like to see him there. What I really would like to see is I'd like to see the point where Bennington gets back-to-back games. I was actually kind of hoping Bennington would have started last night against the Rangers. I'm glad that Huso started, but um, 
I want to see back-to-backs for Bennington because we've seen back-to-backs with Huso. We know he can go on a run for you and play well. Um, so my gut would say Benner gets the one tomorrow against Nashville, and then you'll get Huso against Winnipeg. And then then the answer comes, who plays against Pittsburgh? Yeah. Because you've got three days off between those games. Bennington played against Pittsburgh, and we all know how that one went. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in 15 minutes, there's an arms race right now taking place in the AFC as the NFC just pretends that the offseason hasn't even started. We'll get to that coming up in about 15 minutes. But coming up next, the Cardinals. It's time for some free agency tender. They're playing it themselves. We're going to play it next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Oh, Alongside yeah, Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. Yeah, baby. This is uncomfortable. Yeah, Let's play a game of Cardinals oh, free agency like tender. Baseball is back. It's very white in here. And that means we're swiping right if you like it, left if you don't. Is on there some a, Cardinals, for, on some for MLB free agents that is, could be Cardinals. Is there a max? Because, like, I'm so excited I could just swipe right on all of them. I might Man. super swipe a lot. It's I been a while. I think now you can only swipe right on so many different people. I don't know, though, because I'm not on Tinder. Tanner, you're you're more active yeah, you're in, on the, Tinder, Tanner. in the dating market. Is you're there a, a limited Tinder. number of swipes now? I'm pretty sure there's no limited number of swipes. Okay. What kind of all game right. is that? Come on, Tinder. 65780 Zero Cup if you've got an answer on that for us. Let's start with this. This is going to be a little more abstract. Big picture here. Are you swiping right if you like it or left if you don't? On the Cardinals adding another swing man to their bullpen. Now that they have added this uh, Drew Verhagen, are you swiping right on another swing guy who can be a long reliever or left because you don't think they need to add one anymore? I'm going to swipe left because I don't think you need one. I think now you need a guy who can do 7th, 8th, ninth inning role and to what Derek Gould has told us in the past, needs to push for a push for a closer role competition for Giovanni Gallegos because I don't know how many guys you have with that I don't know if Jordan Hicks is going to be ready for that Reyes struggled with that yeah Hennessy's Cabrera might be the only one so I'm going to swipe left on this one I think I'm going to swipe left on that for now as well I, I think it all depends on and Mo mentioned this in his presser last night you know we got to evaluate where our pitchers are for now I'm assuming everybody's healthy everybody's going to be fine coming into things and Reyes can be stretched out so you could have Verhagen, Reyes, maybe Woodford's in the bullpen as that shadow rotation guy. So for now, I'm swiping left. But if something comes back and they say, okay, well, it looks like Reyes could only be a one-inning guy, then my answer will change and I'll swipe right. But for now, I'm going to swipe left. I'm definitely swiping to the left on this. As of now, your relievers that I think are locked into the opening day roster are Gallegos, Cabrera, Reyes, Helsley, McFarland, and Verhagen. You've also got Jordan Hicks, Cody Whitley, Jake Woodford, and then if they sign another free agent in the in the bullpen, fighting for the final two spots on the major league roster. And then on top of that, you've got a bunch of other guys that are going to start out the season down in the minors that could potentially be swing relievers or starters for you at the big league level. I don't think you need to add another one. So uh, guys that I was otherwise going to consider included Zach Grinke, Martin Perez, Tyler Anderson, Garrett Richards. I'm going to go ahead and eliminate all of those guys from this list because I don't think that there are options that the Cardinals need to consider any longer. How about Colin McHugh? 
do you consider him to be in that same category? Because he could be a one-inning reliever if you needed him to. Are you swiping right or left on Colin McHugh adding him on a one-year, five to six million dollar deal now that they have already signed a reliever? I guess my question would be, can he push for a closer's role? Probably not, but he could be a seventh or eighth inning guy. I feel like you got a lot of those guys. I just feel like you need a little bit more of a push there. But, man, if he could do what he did last year with Tampa Bay, I would be all over that. You know what? I would say I'd swipe right on Colin McHugh. I think there's a lot more versatility there with him. 34 years old makes me – or 35 years old makes me a little nervous. But, man, I mean, to have that weapon, and we all know how fast it it depleted last season with injuries to your rotation – to add another player that has more of a assurance in that role, I would swipe right on Colin McHugh. I think I would swipe right on him too because I think he could be a seventh inning guy for you. Could cover multiple innings if he had to. If Reyes got hurt midway through the year, he could take over part of that quote unquote shadow rotation if he had to. So with him being a swing guy and the numbers that he put up last year, I think I would swipe right on a one year deal for him. I think I would swipe right on it as well. I actually think Colin McHugh's good enough that you just you put him in your bullpen and you figure it out. Like, he could be a seventh-inning guy. He could be your setup man on certain days if you needed him to. You can play the matchups with him. If you need him to go two to three innings, you can do that. I think it allows you to be a little more flexible with guys like Alex Reyes. I think he would allow you to definitely start Jake Woodford down in AAA and just stretch him out. He's now your sixth starter. You know you've got that locked in. You don't have to worry about it anymore. So I I would swipe right for sure on Colin McHugh. By the way, we got an update on Tinder from the actual Tinder expert, Andrew Marsh, not Tanner Hendrickson. There is a limit on Tinder, not on Hinge. Oh, okay. Hinge so, is, is that the one that BK brought up yesterday was Hinge? Yes. Apparently, according to Marshy, and uh, I don't speak the slang, Hinge is where all the smokes are. <laughs> I would assume that means it's lit. Yes, that yeah. is uh, that is certainly correct. All right, 65780 is your covered service tax line if you guys would like to play along with us. Let's get into some Cardinals free agency Tinder. Oh! Are you swiping right or left? Right if you like it, left if you don't. On Jock Peterson on a two-year, $18 million contract. By the way, these numbers are coming from The Athletic. They put together some of their projections yesterday. Absolutely not. I'm swiping left on this one. I don't like the idea of Jock Peterson. I don't think you need a Jock Peterson. I think you need a little bit more consistency and assurance at the plate. So swipe left. I think I'm with Alex. I think I would swipe left on Jack Peterson. He's He'd be great in the postseason, but he, I mean, he hits about 20 home run power. He hits about 240, has a decent slug. I I, I think you could survive Ooh. off of a large new bar as a left-handed fourth outfield option and could DH, and he's a more cost control than signing Jack Peterson to a two-year deal. So I think I'd swipe left on that. I'm with you guys. I'm not swiping right on uh, on Jock Peterson. I don't think that's the type of player that the Cardinals need because it's a multi-year deal. If this was a one-year $9 million deal, I might be considering it. Two years, though, multiple years. I'm not interested in him in that scenario. Let's go to the next one. Josh Harrison, one year, $5 million as a backup utility infielder. Guys, are you swiping right or left on Josh Harrison on a one-year deal worth around $5 million? I'm swiping left. Is this what we're going to do? Are we just doing BK's list of favorites on this Tinder 
Friday, swiping left. I don't think you need a Josh Harrison. I think you got plenty of Josh Harrisons in your organization. You need the step above Josh Harrison. So swipe left. I think I'm swiping left, too. I, I don't think that Josh Harrison fits for this Cardinals team. I mean, you've got Brendan Donovan, who's going to be on the bench. You've got Edmundo Sosa that'll be on the bench, slash Paul DeYoung. Stop making fetch work. I, 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 don't see, I don't see Josh Harrison as a fit here in St. Louis. I mean, he can play in the outfield, too, if you need him to. Isn't he like 36? He's like, he's like 40, man. He's 34. He's 34. That's, that's too old to play in the outfield. I, he, you can figure it out with him. He is... The thing that I like about Josh Harrison is because is the on base percentage. It's the same thing with a Matt Duffy. Like, I think there's still next, I think there's still value in guys that hit 280 or 290 with an on base percentage around 350 or so. Don't worry, you're, I got the guy for you. It's Paul Goldschmidt. You're, <laughs> <laughs> you're not gonna get any sort of a slug out of a guy like Josh Harrison, but you don't necessarily need that out of him if he's batting sixth for you. In your lineup every few days, I, I, I think I'm that's sorry. worthwhile. I would swipe to the right on a Josh Harrison at one year and $5 million. Is Slug not sexy? Slug is very sexy. Okay. I like a give me a good on base percentage, oh, though. God. It gets me all hot and bothered oh, under the collar. God, here <laughs> comes Matt Duffy then. <laughs> Next one up for you guys. Are you swiping right or left on Carlos Correa at eight years and $240 million? This is for you, not the Cardinals, I should say. Oh, good. Oh, I'd sign that for me. 30 years per year, or 30 year, 30 mil per year. Man, math is not fun today. I was up till 1230 last night. Everyone leave me alone. <coughs> Tanner, are you swiping right or left? I, w- I would swipe right. I-, I still believe that shortstop is a need for the Cardinals, and it's a big hole. I don't think they're going to go actually upgrade it. But if you gave me Cray at eight years, what was it, 240? Yeah, I would absolutely sign that in a heartbeat. So I could not sign this fast enough. Is this a super swipe from BK? This this might be a super super swipe. Absolutely super swipe in this one. I can't believe that there's even a possibility that he's only signing for eight years. If if you could get like an eight year deal worth two hundred and forty million dollars and he's got a couple of opt outs in there as well. Oh, buddy. Give me that pen and paper and sign it as quick as possible. I could not be more excited about getting him on that kind of a deal. So, yes, absolutely. I would be very interested in Correa at that deal. I would be very surprised, however, if the Cardinals are interested in him at that kind of a deal. Next one up here. Here's a hint. They're not. Anthony Rizzo. Are you swiping right or left on Anthony Rizzo on a one-year deal worth $15 million? Super swipe. Super swipe in this one. This is my DH right here. This is my DH. And I think this puts you over the hump if you want to be a World Series favorite. Get yourself an Anthony Rizzo. I think I, I would swipe. Explain it anymore. I think I would swipe right on that as well. I mean, he'd be the perfect left-handed power bat that this team is looking for. That's why I, you know, Jim Bowden mentioned it way back in like June or July with us that Corey Seager made sense for the Cardinals. Feel that shortstop need, left-handed power bat. I think if you could get him on a one-year deal, absolutely, I would swipe right on that, and then I would figure out what I'm going to do with Juan Yepes and Lars Newpar later. I think I'm swiping left on this because if you told me I could have one of a guy like Anthony Rizzo at one year, $15 million, or I can go out there and get Nelson Cruz. I know he's a geriatric tanner, Alex. I get it. He's 41 years old. If I could have Nelson Cruz at one year, 12, or I could have Anthony Rizzo at one and 15, I'm taking Nelson Cruz. I think he's a better hitter. Anthony Rizzo is a better baseball player, 
Nelson Cruz is a better pure hitter, and all I need for my DH this year is for him to hit the hell out of the ball. So Until his hip pops out of place, then <laughs> what are you going to do? I'm swiping left on Nelson Cruz. All right, now I'm going to give you guys some options. You tell me which one of these guys you would most be interested in if they were all willing to accept the same kind of a deal. So you're looking at like a one-year, six to seven million dollar contract for these relievers, okay? You guys tell me which one you're most interested in. Joe Kelly is one option. Ryan Tapera is another option. Andrew Chafin is the third option. Which of those three relievers that Alex, to your point, could compete legitimately for a closer spot would you be most interested in? Ryan Tapera, Andrew Chafin, or Joe Kelly? I think I would go Joe Kelly because he's had a longer track record of success than Ryan Tapera. Because Ryan Tapera had, what, a, a couple of good, good like last year was his best year. I mean, you're, you're talking multiple seasons of Joe Kelly looking like a dominant force out of the bullpen. Plus, I think it'd be nice to add a little character and add, attitude to your locker room. And I think Joe Kelly does all of that. So if I'm going to get one of those three, I'd be going swiping right on Joe Kelly. I think I would go Joe Kelly as well. And you're familiar with him. He started his career here in St. Louis. I think he's a guy, and I like Alex's point of add a little bit of spice to that bullpen. I mean, that bullpen, you got Cabrera crouching down and he strikes out guys, and then you bring in Joe Kelly who's going to stick his tongue out at uh, guys for pouting. So Love it. I, I think Joe Kelly would be the guy. I would have Ryan Tapera right behind him, though, on my list of these three. I, I just don't know if you need a lefty in, in Andrew Chafin. You've already got Cabrera. You've already got McFarlane. But I would definitely take Joe Kelly for sure. He'd be the one of these three that I would take. I think I would go Kelly as well. And I think the Cardinals are actually interested in him. I was listening to Derek Gould yesterday. Uh, He mentioned that the Cardinals, one one of the first things he thinks they'll do is circle back with Joe Kelly, who they apparently had had conversations with prior to the the lockout. I think Joe Kelly is a, a, a legitimate possibility for the Cardinals. I think he is the ideal bullpen candidate for this team. So I would be thrilled if that was the guy that they ended up going out there and acquiring the next thing we'll end it on this one guys second tier dh options which of these are you guys most interested in jorge soler eddie rosario brad miller colin moran soler rosario brad miller colin moran which of those guys would you be most interested in the cardinals acquiring let's assume it's a one-year deal worth five to eight million dollars i think it's pretty simple it's colin moran because he can play multiple positions for you You can play third base he can play first base he can play dh i know people would say well he doesn't have the power that you talk about with wanting all of the power and the slug but look he's had success against the cardinals he can he's a lefty if i'm not mistaken yeah he's had success against lefties i think this is where I think this is the most sense when it comes to a a second-tier DH option, and you got a veteran who knows his role on the team rather than somebody coming in who wants to be an everyday player. He knows that he might not be, and he'll buy into that. Yeah, I think I'm with you. I think I would go Colin Moran because of what you said. He's got he's kind of a super utility guy. He can give Arnado Goldie a day off when they need it. Also, he's left-handed, and it matters this year because of uh, next year's when it starts where you play less against your NL Central opponents, but he just absolutely kills the NL Central, and he's had success at Bush. So I think Colin Moran would be my guy for sure. Last year against right-handed pitching, Colin Moran hit 290 with a 355 batting at, or a 355 on base percentage, excuse me, and a 785 OPS. That's good for a 117 OPS plus. Colin Moran on a one-year, three to five million dollar deal is the ideal second-tier. 
DH option for this team. So I would go with him. You can play first. You can play third. You've already got guys that can play in the middle infield. You've got a good backup outfielder, they believe, and Lars Newtbar, and more of them are on the way coming up with an Alec Burleson type of a player. I would go Colin uh, Moran as my second-tier DH that I'm most interested in. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're diving into the junk drawer. But next, there's an arms race taking place right now in the AFC. The Chargers made their big splash yesterday. We'll talk about it coming up here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Oh, some unfortunate news from former Blues forward Robbie Fabry. According to the Red Wings, they believe he's torn his ACL again. Oh, man, that just stinks for him. I just saw this come across uh, my Twitter feed. The Detroit Red Wings coach has said that he suspects Robbie Fabry has torn his ACL yet again. Uh, That's some really unfortunate news for Fabry. Uh, So that's the news there in Illinois news. just missed a layup. Oh, they are down by one with 1.7 seconds to go in the in the. This is the first round of the Big Ten tournament, right? This is the quarters. This is the quarters. They had a double bye. First round for them because they were co-champions. And this is not going well. T-ball. Wait, I haven't seen it yet. I'm watching it right left. now. Your oh my boy, gosh, he missed T-ball. a wide open layup. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not it's not going well for him. Uh, meanwhile, if I'm you're a, a ba- if you're a college basketball fan and you liked Auburn, the number four team in the country, they are down by twenty right now in the second half against Texas A and M. Holy, son, I ain't down that bad. Whew, so, that's embarrassing. Some some upsets taking place no, around college em- basketball today. What's embarrassing, T Bone, is if you lose to Loyola two straight years. I mean, Loyola is at least good. Indiana yeah. is not. It's not like what we lost to UMKC. About? All right, Liberty. Let's get into the NFL news of the day. Guys, there's a lot of action taking place. Yesterday, the big news, this took place after our show, Khalil Mack was traded to the Chargers for a second-round pick this year and a sixth-round pick next year. The Chargers now have Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack as their defensive ends, as good of a defensive end duo as you'll find in the NFL. And we talked about this the other day. The Chargers already had studs all over the field. They've got the game-changing safety. They've got an all-everything quarterback. They've got a stud-wide receiver. They've got all of the hard things to find, and now they just added another one of those monsters on the defense. Now it's about finding the glue pieces for them. Guys, to me, my biggest takeaway from this yesterday, and by the way, Illinois has officially lost uh, to Indiana 65-63. to That is now official. Um, my biggest takeaway from this is, We are now watching an arms race in the AFC, and I think part of the reason as to why is what we've seen over the last two years with the Rams going all in on their team to support their quarterback that they traded for and the uh, the Buccaneers going all in on Tom Brady and then going on to see the success of that in the Super Bowl. I think teams are waking up to the fact that, hey, if we can get some veterans that are high-priced and we're having to trade out assets to go get them, it's worth it because we could win big surrounding our young quarterback in particular on these rookie deals. And I think teams feel like it's necessary to do this in the AFC right now Definitely. because, I mean, just look at the AFC West with this division and you have all of these outstanding quarterbacks and then you add in Russell Wilson to an already dominant conference division. 
I mean, you have to do this if you're an AFC team. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see more of this because there's other guys in the news right now that could be traded away. There's a couple of big names still available in the free agent market. The AFC teams are looking at this as we have this window right now and the window's going to be competitive. Like if you're the Kansas City Chiefs, you know you still have this window wide open with your roster, but it's not easy like it used to be where you just got to get past Tom Brady. Yep. Now you got to worry about Russell Wilson and the Denver Broncos, and you got to worry about Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills. And now with Justin Herbert and this Chargers team, like you have to stockpile if you want to compete. And it's the polar opposite in the NFC because you're looking at it as, man, we'll trade for Carson Wentz and we could probably compete. Yeah, it's definitely an arms race in the AFC because you can't, like you mentioned, Alex. I mean, you just can't get past the first round even now if you if you don't load up on talent. You could be knocked out in the first round if you just get in as the seventh seed and don't have as much talent as the rest of these teams do. And the NFC is just kind of sitting back, and I don't know if anybody's really going to make a move. I mean, I think we'll see one team. I'm not sure who, but How I about think Seattle. Did you see this? According to Daniel Jeremiah of NFL Network, quote, in talking to friends around the league, the full expectation from every single person that I talk to is that when all is said and done, Deshaun Watson will be the quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks. Are are they going to be competing anytime soon? I mean, if they get Deshaun Watson, then yeah, because you've still got Tyler Lockett. You've still got DK Metcalf. If you add Deshaun Watson to the mix, I think they... This might sound crazy. And but their offensive line is bad. They don't really have a running game that can stay healthy. But take into consideration the off-field stuff. Throw that to the side for a second. And I know that's hard to do. I'm just talking about the on-field product, though. I think Deshaun Watson's a better quarterback than Russell Wilson. Oh, absolutely. And if you add him to the mix there and you make some key free agent additions, they can't just stand pat. They've got to go out there and make other additions as well. I think the Seahawks could become, they could emerge as that third team in the NFC that competes behind the Packers and the Rams next year. But you have a lot of things you have to do in the offseason. It's not like the Chiefs where they just had to upgrade one area. Like, you're upgrading your defense. You're upgrading your offensive line. I mean, look, I think Chris Carson's a great running back, but he's got to stay healthy. You usually lose both of your running backs when you're the Seattle Seahawks by week eight. I just... I I would be really intrigued by that move because you're right. It does set Seattle above a lot of teams in the NFC, but I think Seattle's got a lot more to do than just acquire Deshaun Watson, and I think some of that stems from their head coach as well. Yeah, and they have to and if they're going to compete, they have to go through the toughest division in the NFC as well. I mean, they're basically yeah. both the NFC West and AFC West are loaded because you will have a 49ers which grant there's some question marks around them, but they still have a very talented roster. You've got the Rams who are coming off their Super Bowl win, and most of that team is going to remain intact still. And you've got the Arizona Cardinals, and I get it. The Arizona Cardinals really struggled down the end of the uh, season, but they've got Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins will be back, and I expect them to be a little bit aggressive as well this offseason. So if Seattle wants to contend, they would easily get the best quarterback in that division and probably the second best in the NFC right behind uh, Aaron Rodgers. But I, I, I just don't know if they can make that move happen. Then the NFC or the NFC, excuse me, will be a four-team race between them, the Rams, the Packers, and potentially Dallas, depending on what they do. Yeah. And they, they will probably only be the only aggressive team in the NFC. I don't see anybody else that's going to be super aggressive besides possibly Seattle. Yeah, I, I'm with you guys. I just wanted to bring them up because I saw that yesterday, and I was like, okay, that 
that's that makes a lot more sense as to what they're going to be trying to accomplish here. They're not tearing things down. They're just trying to revamp and reload as opposed to rebuild. If you add Deshaun Watson to the mix and part of why you had to go out there and decide to release Bobby Wagner is because you need the cap room available to you for Deshaun. That makes a lot of sense to me. So Seattle, in my opinion, one of the very few teams that's going to be aggressive in the NFC. Let's get back to the AFC, though. Guys, the the free agency period is going to be wild. And part of it is because I think it's both free agency and I think you're going to see some more of these trades. There was a report yesterday that Fletcher Cox might be available, the all-world defensive tackle for the Eagles. It's really hard for them to be able to make that kind of a deal because of the dead cap that would emerge. But, man, at this point, we've seen so many teams just take on that dead cap with no worries about it that maybe the Philadelphia will be willing to trade Fletcher Cox. And if he was moved... We've seen the arms race in the AFC. I would think that he's probably going to go to that conference. You, then you've got guys like Chandler Jones and Von Miller that are available. According to reports, they're both looking for 15 to $17 million per year. The Chargers are reportedly in on J.C. Jackson, the former um, Patriots cornerback, who's probably going to be the highest-paid corner in the market this offseason. If they add him and Khalil Mack in one offseason, what a wild addition that would be to their defense. I mean, there's... There's a lot of movement still to come in the AFC. I think that the Chiefs are probably one of the favorites to land Chandler Jones, for example. If uh, the the Bears are really going to go through a little bit of a rebuild this year to reset, I think that a guy like Robert Quinn could become available as well. He had, what was it, 20 sacks a year ago? And there's there's still a lot of movement that's going to be taking place over the next week or two. And it all starts, I think, starting next week, right? That's when when free agency officially begins. I believe so, yeah. So a lot of excitement coming up over the next few days and certainly next couple of weeks in in the AFC and the NFL as a whole. Coming up in 10 minutes, Tanner said something yesterday about Rob Manfred. Alex, that absolutely stunned me. We'll get to that coming up at the top of the hour. The junk drawer is coming up next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. I love the Blues broadcasts on 101 ESPN. Oh, thanks, buddy. It's because of me, isn't it? Chris Kerber and Joey Vitale. I think you okay. can make a strong case. Very much. Are one of, if not the best radio crews in all of hockey and maybe all of sports. And one of the reasons why is because during the games, you never know what you're going to hear come never. out of the mouth of Joey Vitale. And last night, we had another one of those moments. Man, he's been the rubber band man tonight, huh? Hey, rubber band man, wild as a talent. <laughs> right time to fade to, to, to fade right out of that thing. <laughs> Two point one to go. Good save, Joe. The puck goes into the corner. There's the end of the period. <laughs> I was thinking of a different rubber band man song. <laughs> <laughs> How you doing over there, Joe, partner? All good. All good. Hell of a period. Hell of a period there. <laughs> hey, it's Grateful Dead night. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're getting some resident. 
That's where I lost it. That's the way you eject yourself out of that situation. Hey, it's Grateful Dead Night here at Enterprise Center. So for people that don't know, and I'm not going to say the lyrics because obviously you There's can't. There's a reason why he ejected himself out he's, of this situation. He's singing the, the, the T.I. song, Rubber Band Man. And Joey, this is why I love Joe, because Joe just, he lets it flow, man. Whatever comes to his mind, it's just coming out. And then he'll sit there and be like, what happened? And he said that, and he, I mean, props to him because he faded quick. But he turned and looked at me. And, and I mean, the man's face went red because he knew what he did. And Curbs, I don't think Curbs knew the song, but he thought it was hilarious. Joey's reaction. And then I told Curbs afterwards what the song was. And he goes, wow, that was a good job by Joe. (laughs) Oh, man. Editing himself in real time. This is why you don't sing on the air. Yes. We've learned our lesson on that. Well, people tell us we sound like we're karaoke from hell. Well, that that is because they are absolutely correct. I've only heard positive thoughts on my singing, so. You must be just on the negative state of mind. It's usually because we try and pump your ego up a little bit. That, that is exactly right. I what, what a Joe, Joe, what a treasure Joey Vitale yes. is. The first game, and I'll never forget this. The first game that Joey did as a color analyst with with Curbs was on Camel X Radio. It was the Blues flagship station at the time, and I don't even remember how they got into it. But Joe started talking about why men have nipples. <laughs> And he just went on a three-minute tangent about it because that's Joe. We know that here on 101. And and understand the audience that he was speaking to at the time. And then Joe was like, what, the, what was the problem? And then we were laughing after it. After. That's just that's the, that's the best part about Joey V, man. It's just whatever comes to mind, he does. And it's incredible. I, I say you're the best to a lot of different people. There's one that I mean it for more than anybody Me? else, and that is Joey Vitale. Let's let's hear this one more time. Joey oh, Vitale at the end of a period talking about a great save that Ville Husso made last night will fade in to Rob Manfred and why Tanner Hendrickson believes he deserves more credit coming up on the other side. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. One of the things that I'm supposed to do is promote a good relationship with our players. Um, I've tried to do that. I have not been successful in that. Um, I think that it begins with small steps. It's why I picked the phone up after the ratification and called Tony and expressed my desire to work with him. It's going to be a priority of mine moving forward to, to, to try to make good on the commitment that I made to him on the phone. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. That was Rob Manford yesterday after announcing that Major League Baseball is officially back. Now, I've had I've said a lot of critical things about Rob Manford throughout the offseason, throughout this lockout. I do think he deserves a little, a very little amount of credit for finally coming to an agreement and agreeing to the terms that the, the players basically put out there. I, I think that there is some... There's some credit that is deserved for him being able to finally get the owners on the same page. That's where I'm willing to go. But Tanner, I was surprised to hear you yesterday as we got the news say, you know what? I think people are being too hard on Rob Manfred, and I think he deserves credit for what took place yesterday. Explain yourself, sir. 
Yeah, I think just the fact of the matter, I mean, we saw some of the details that came out of this agreement, and I think Rob Manfred helped push the owners towards that side, as you mentioned, to where it felt like there was quite a bit of compromise on their side. I think the whole plan along was that they were just going to let this play out until the players caved, and I think Rob Manford and and his comments there that we heard on the return saying, you know what, I, I realize I have to be better and have to communicate more with the Players Association and be more committed to that side of my job. I'm not saying that he was the one and only guy that stood up in the room in negotiations and said, hey, we have to get a deal done because we know what's at stake here for Major League Baseball, but I do think he was a big advocate of that because I do think he he's known as a negotiator, and the fact of the matter that he was able to get a 30-0 to vote from the owners to approve the CBA that was offered to the players when we had heard that there were some owners saying, yeah, I don't want to see the CBT even move up at all from the 210 mark that it was previously at, and they were able to bump it up to, what was the number, 234 I think was the final number. I think Rob Manford deserves a lot of credit for helping get this pushed along to getting the owners to realize, hey, this is more about getting the game back on the field. And look, we're still going to be the winners of this CBA. Let's give some of the things that the players want here. We're not saying we're going all the way in on these. We'll compromise on it. We'll settle the deal. We'll get back onto the field. And I think he deserves credit for that. And I and seeing people on social media still saying Rob Manford still sucks. Look, I, does he have his flaws? Absolutely. But I think some of it needs to be taken away that they're playing a full 162-game season. And this isn't the second year of the last three in which we're going to have a shortened season. And I do believe Rob Manford deserves some credit for getting baseball back on the field. Yeah, look, that's where I'm at, too. Like, I'm not sitting here saying Rob Manfred is the best out of all of this and that we should all, you know, bow down to him. But what I am saying is I I, I think Rob Manfred gets a lot – I feel like Rob Manfred's kind of in the same position as Gary Bettman, where everyone just hates Gary Bettman because it's Gary Bettman. And, look, he was a part of three different lockouts with the NHL. But you also have to look at it as, okay, but he did find a way to get through that and make the league better. I think some of the shortcomings for Rob Manfred is the fact that he's got to figure out how to make the game grow and continue to improve. But what I appreciate about Rob Manfred for, through all of this is that he acknowledges his shortcomings. He knows that he's got to get better with this communication side and make sure that this the animosity can be controlled between the owners and the players. And T-Bone's right. You know, to be able to get that 30 to nothing vote with this, some of that is on Rob Manfred knowing what's at stake with the game. Is he perfect? Absolutely not. But I don't sit here and think that Rob Manfred was the worst thing to happen with all of this because I think the evidence actually shows that there were other issues that were not Rob Manfred in all of these. Yeah, there definitely was. And I think the owners take on more of the blame than specifically Rob Manfred does. Like if you're looking to the Major League Baseball side of the negotiations, I a lot of that should go towards the owners themselves, not the man that is representing the owner's best interest. But I, I, I'm not willing to give him too much credit. Like the, the lockout was in part because he couldn't get the owners on the same page. And his inability to have a good relationship or even a fair relationship with the players is an issue that is not just begun overnight. That has been there for years. So I, I think a lot of what we are now giving him credit for today is stuff for issues that he solved that were of his own doing. Like he made a mess and then he cleaned it up. I don't then give him credit for cleaning up the mess. That's what you're supposed to do. That is quite literally your job. So I appreciate the fact that they were able to finally come to a deal before ending up missing out on games. So credit for that. But I'm not going to go over the top here. Let's see what it looks like now, now that they do have an agreement to see if he's actually able to do anything with this. And I'm very curious to see what kind of 
rule changes they're able to get into as well. That's something that Rob Manfred has been looking for for years, and that's going to be his next big undertaking. And that and that's the thing that also uh, that I kind of forgot about too was Alex mentioning you know Gary Bettman doing things best for the game. Now that Rob Manfred's now looking like he's going to get these rules in place for 2023, the banning of the shift, the uh, pitch clock, the bigger bases, it looks like he's going to get those done. He's actually living up to the first thing that he said when he took office as commissioner as well. So, sure, it's taken him a long time to get there, but the fact that he's able to get this done, too, in a CBA and also, you know, making small changes to the schedule where everybody's playing everybody uh, next season, I I do think he deserves some credit for also not only getting this deal done in which it's, okay, everybody's kind of on the same page, we're starting to compromise a little bit. I get what you're saying where he's cleaning up the mess that he created, but the fact that he's also able to get some stuff in there that we weren't even thinking about, like the compromise on the international draft where we thought that was going to be a holdup. Instead, they say, okay, let's take a little bit of a break, let's sit back and see what happens, and then also some of the rule changes that he's finally going to be bringing to the game in which he finally... Finally, he's living up to his promise when he first took over. Yeah, I mean, the, the, to, to be fair, though, the international draft, the the compromise came from the players. <laughs> they were potentially going to ruin the agreement. The owners were over that. And then the players were like, wait, why don't we take the next four months to be able to come up with an answer here? So I I don't know how much credit I'm willing to give Look, them for that. Guys, can we can, can we get be done with these negotiations and everything? Because we got Cardinals baseball back. And, <laughs> oh, yes, we do. They and, signed a player. And guess what? I'm excited. And you want to know how excited I am? I'm so excited that I got a Ferrari 05 of the five things I'm excited for for Cardinals baseball excitement. T-Bone, hit the open. You're listening to BK and Ferrario. It's time for the Ferrario 5, a top five list of very random things. So, Ferrario, give us your top five. All right, first thing are the hot dogs. That's what I'm excited about. Second oh, thing yeah. are the Cracker Jacks. Third thing, I don't care if I never go back. Okay, real thing here. You totally worked on that for a long time last yep. night to yeah. bring it on here today. I did. It spent uh, at least five seconds thinking about it. The, fi- the, 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 the fifth thing that I'm excited about for this Cardinal season, boys, I'm ready to see the speed. I've got the need, the need for speed. Skip Schumacher, now in the dugout. Tyler O'Neill, Dylan Carlson, Josh Tommy Edmond. He's not a part of this. He's, He's too old Josh to Harrison? Harrison Bader, your guy. Harrison Bader. I'm ready to see this team dominate the stolen base category this year. The year that the San Diego Padres were at the top of the charts because of Skip Schumacher, I'm hoping the Cardinals are there now. Hell, let's see five stolen bases from Nolan Arenado. Not possible. Maybe Yadier Molina. I do like the. I, I do like this though. Like the the speed of the Cardinals, whether that be defensively or on the base paths, I think is a big reason to be excited about their specific season that lies ahead because they could be one of the best base stealing teams in, in, in the sport this year. Yeah. So it, I'm excited it, to watch it. And, and this ties. Into I hope the, they take advantage of it. This that's what I really, and that's why I'm excited because Skip Schumacher's yeah. there, and I think they will take advantage of it. The next thing is the youth. And I know I've given T-Bone a lot of trouble with all of this, with Juan Yepes, but I am genuinely excited to see what these young guys do. And it goes beyond the guys who could be at the major league level. I want to see what the trajectory of Jordan Walker looks like this season. If this guy ends up in, like, triple A by the end of the year, I mean, you got a superstar on your hands. And I think we all agree with that. But you got some other guys as well. I mean, this Joshua Bias kid supposedly is... Big when it comes to the offense, you've got the uh, the new player that they signed from Korea in in, in Wonbin Cho. 
top of that, you got Alec Burleson, you got Luke and Baker, you got some big time names in there. So I'm excited to see what this youth does and the guys who do get to the major league level, what they can do if they can uh, attribute to this team. I was making up my list of the top 20 most important players for the Cardinals in 2022 last night. We'll start that series coming up next week for you guys. I compared to the back end of the list this year to what I had on the back end a year ago. And the back end guys last year were like Matt Carpenter and some of the older veterans that were potentially going to get opportunities as whether it was bench bats or um, guys that were at the back end of the bullpen, like an Andrew Miller, for example. This year, I'm not giving away my list, but Juan Yepes and Nolan Gorman and Lars Newtbar and Mundo Sosa, guys like that were factoring in at the back end of my top 20. They all have upside, and that's what I'm excited about is last year the guys that you were hoping would catch on were guys like, okay, it's the last gasp for you. Justin Williams, last last opportunity for you to catch on to the big league club. Uh, Lane Thomas, last opportunity for you to be able to do this. Matt Carpenter, we've got one more ride with you, buddy. And this year it's more of, I'm really excited to find out if they can do it or not. So I I think that's kind of the difference in the feel surrounding those guys. The... uh, I mean, the end result could be the same, but the excitement level, the upside for those guys is vastly different. It's the evolution of the roster. It's kind of like what the Blues had when they switched from David Backus to the new core. Like, you're switching this new core of the team, and I'm excited to see what that looks like. Third thing is what we've talked about earlier, but I'm I'm really excited about Tyler O'Neill this year because, as I mentioned, I haven't been able to I haven't been able to enjoy an MVP season for the Cardinals because when Albert Pujols did it, I was a little younger and I wasn't as engulfed in the sport as I am now. But knowing that you potentially could have a guy who could have 40 home runs and 40 stolen bases on top of a gold glove in left field, I mean, it's crazy to sit here and think about that that player could potentially be suiting up for the Cardinals this year. And I think there could be a shift when you get a guy like that with Tyler O'Neill. And this also goes with it. My second thing I'm pumped up for for this season. Of course, I got this, Mr. 95% himself. Watch out for Nolan Arenado's second season with the Cardinals. Did you read his article today with uh, Katie Wu over on The Athletic? People should subscribe uh, to The Athletic to read Katie's coverage of the team. She was able to catch up yesterday after the lockout came to an end. Uh, with Nolan Arenado, and he gave her some pretty good insight into what he's been working on, and let's just say he was not happy with the results from a year ago. And let's be honest, he had a really good season for the Cardinals last year, but imagine what that next step's going to look like. I would wager a bet that he's probably going to have one of his best seasons in his career this upcoming season with the Cardinals, and for and no look no further than what the Blues have with Justin Falk. I, I think there's some acclimation that takes place when you go from one team to another where you've spent your entire career that first season's always tough. That second season is where I think you start to feel a lot more comfortable. And then the first thing, it's pretty obvious, but we have to talk about it. And it, it, it hit me yesterday of how I got so excited. It's the final curtain call for Yachty and Wayno. Not only are you getting the final season with those two, if it really is their final season, but you're also possibly going to set Major League Baseball history with those two as battery mates getting the starts and for consecutive starts together. So with Yachty and Wayno. We've had so much history in Cardinals baseball with, with so many guys and so many championships, but you're seeing an end of an era this season, and that's why I'm so ecstatic that they're getting 162 games and we don't have to sit here and say, okay, well, they got to stay healthy so that they can get to this threshold. You get 162 with these two. The five reasons Alex is excited for the 2022 Cardinals season. Number one, Yadi and Wayno, their final go-around. Number two, Nolan Arenado having a bounce-back year from what was already a pretty darn good 
first season here in St. Louis. Number three, Tyler O'Neill adding to what he did a year ago, potentially becoming a legit MVP candidate once again. Number four, the youth movement that we're about to see. And number five, he's got a need, a need for speed. Coming up in 15 minutes, you give us four options. We will tell you which one's got to go. But coming up next, Darren Drager says the Blues are in on this defenseman. We'll tell you who that is next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. we got some more updates on the Blues potential trade deadline acquisitions oh, earlier today. Oh, yeah. Our guy, Jeremy Rutherford, the Blues insider for The Athletic, had a great piece earlier today on who they are looking at and who the Blues are potentially not looking at as we get closer to the deadline. We're broadcasting live from the EAB Granite Studio at the Centene Community Ice Center. Alex, let's start with who they are potentially not looking at, according to Jeremy Rutherford. This might break your heart a little bit, but according to JR, Quote, anything can change, but one source told me that the Blues are no longer involved in talks with Seattle about Mark Giordano. Oh, no. I can see that. That doesn't break my heart as much. Oh, that breaks my heart. That one stings. It doesn't break my heart because it's not like he's the best one out there and they're out on it. There's a lot of guys that match what the Blues need that are still available. And I think that, honestly, I think what Seattle would want for Giordano then for the 50% cap space, then to pay another team for 50% of that cap space, I just think Doug Armstrong looks at it as, I don't know if the juice is worth the squeeze with that trade. JR continued, and while Chikrin would make a lot of sense because of his age, 23 years old, and the term that's left on his contract, which is three years, it's also thought that he's not specifically the type of player, stylistically, that the Blues are focusing on. And that brings us to Ben Sherratt, who, according to JR, does possess the attributes that the Blues need to add And the Blues have been scouting Sherratt throughout the season. And just last week, they sent Troy Brower to be in attendance for two Montreal games against Edmonton and Calgary. So you love Sherratt now because your boy Troy Brower is scouting him. The Blues have also, according to Jeremy Rutherford, shown some interest in Seattle's Carson Soucy, the 27-year-old, is six foot five, 210 pounds. He's a left-shot defenseman. He's got one year left on his deal with the Kraken. It's about $2.5 million per season. Could that be more in the price range? The problem is that so many teams are priced out of the top tier that the second tier actually might start getting inflated, too. Again, that's according to Jeremy Rutherford. Alex, I think we've talked about seemingly every defenseman that plays in the NHL at this point. But the guys that we focus the most amount of time on, I'll go through some of them. Nick Letty, Ben Sherratt, Justin Braun, Travis Sanheim, Scott Mayfield, Jacob Chikrin, Carson Soucy, Jacob Middleton, and Hampus Lindholm. I think those are the guys that we've probably spent the most amount of time on now. Can we narrow it down from there? Do you still feel like it is, even though we are... 10 days away now from the NHL's trade deadline. Is it really still that big of a net, that wide of a net that the Blues are casting? No, because let's go through it. Um, I think you could take Scott Mayfield off this list. I think fans that want Scott Mayfield, I think that's a pipe dream because I would love the St. Louis native to come home, 
But the Blues know they need a left-shot defenseman on the left side to play with Colton Pareko. And Scott Mayfield is a right-shot defenseman on the right side who could play a top-four role. But look, the Islanders are bad this year. But the Islanders don't expect to be bad next year because they have all of the they have the, the same roster going into next season. So you'd have to give up a lot for Scott Mayfield. So I think you could cross him off of the list. As much as I would believe Hampus Lindholm is a possibility, that's going to be a last-minute deal. And I think the Anaheim Ducks are going to do everything they can to keep Lindholm. And I also think it, when it comes down to it, they're going to give Lindholm to the highest bidder. And I don't know if the Blues are want to get into a highest bidder deal right now. So I think I would cross him off of my list. As much as I think Travis Sanheim would be great, Philly's not going to be, well, well we got to trade him. He's got length to his contract, so you could trade him in the offseason and probably get more than what you would at the trade deadline. So I think you could cross him off this list as well. Now, I forgot the other ones. Nicoletti, Carson Soucy, Justin Braun, uh, those are are kind of the other ones. And so that's where I'm looking at this as. Ben Sherrod, I think, is the top-tier guy. That's the number one, probably, one that they're shooting for. I do still think there's interest in Jacob Chikrin. I just think that's going to be, okay, well, we'll check back in and see if the price has dropped. But after that first tier, it's what JR said. The market's going to drop down a little bit to the second tier. That's where it comes into the Justin Bronze, the Carson Soucy's, the Nick Letty's, things like that. And I personally think if they're out on a Jacob Chikrin, if they don't think he matches what they need right now, I think that means that they're looking at the Ben Chirots, the, the Middletons, the Bronze, the Soucy's, the guys who are more defensive Lee responsible who can play a lot of minutes with Colton Pareko. So I think you can narrow it down that way. Again, anything's possible, but those are the ones that seem like there's a a lot more strings tied to the players than the other ones where you can make the move because you know the teams just want to move on from them. The way that I'm looking at this now, I, I think that there is a like we we talked a lot about the style that they want to add, right? The the guy that's going to move the move the front of the net. If somebody's a Gabriel Landeskog is sitting at the front of the net, you wanted to add somebody that would body check that guy out of the way so that he can't be right there as you're looking at Ville Husso or Jordan Bennington trying to make a save. Like that stylistically that's what you hope to have. I I would like to have that guy, Alex, but with all of the guys that we're talking about, I just don't know how realistic it is, other than Ben Sherratt, that they're going to be able to acquire one of those guys. There just aren't a lot of them in today's game, if we're being honest. And the guys that do that, that do play that way, their teams don't want to give them up because of how rare they are. So I, I don't know that that's a requirement anymore. What I am looking for and what, what I think the Blues are probably going to end up looking for is a actual left-handed defenseman, like not a Justin Braun, yeah. not a Scott Mayfield, a guy who has at least one year left on his deal after this season, because if you're going to have to pay extra to get some of that cap relief, I, I don't know that you want to do that for a pure rental right now. Yeah, you're not giving up a first and a third or a first or, an, or a prospect for Ben Sherratt. You're and just I, not doing it. I also don't think that Nico Mikola is going to be ready to be a top four defenseman yet next year either. I think he might get closer, but right now I just don't view him as a guy that next year will be ready for that. So I I would rather have an answer there going into next season as well. And if he ends up needing kind of like Scandella to be a third pairing defenseman next year by the end of the season, because Mikola takes such a big step forward. Great. That's a good problem to have if you're the blues. So left-handed defenseman, another year at least left on his contract and a guy that has shown proven track record of success already. 
already, not a guy that's going through a crappy season. So that's why I think a guy like Carson Soucy, who suddenly came into the mix today when JR reported it, that type of player, Jacob Middleton, who yesterday we talked about, same thing with Travis Sanheim, I don't know what the name is going to be. I'm not even sure, honestly, if we've talked about the guy yet because we know how this works with Doug Armstrong. He works behind the scenes so well. We might not have talked about him because he might not be even in the trade rumors yet. That's the style. That's the type of player. Those are the characteristics that I think they're going to go out there and acquire. I don't know specifically who that player is going to be, but when I saw Carson Soucy as being mentioned in connectors, man, that, he, he makes a lot of sense for them. He makes a lot of sense. Um, I think Jacob Middleton could make some sense. That's just going to come down to how good of a talent evaluator the, evaluators the scouts are because I, I'd be a little nervous about Middleton. Um, I, I do still think that maybe a Sanheim is a possibility, although I know I ruled him out. Like, I mean, you're still going to call and see if Philly's going to be willing to move him. Uh, but I, I, as much as we've talked about this, I am on the side of Mike McKenna, and I feel like you do have to make a splash, whereas you just add – like I don't think you can do what you did with the Marco Scandella trade to where you got the guy that nobody was talking about and he fit right in. I think you kind of have to make a splash with this one. Who's, who would you consider to be a splash, though? Like Ben Sherratt, I, I think, would probably – Ben Sherratt would be a splash. Be Sanheim would be a splash. I think Carson Soucy would be a splash okay. because you're getting control. That, that's the thing. If you get control, that's a splash, in my opinion, because you've made yourself good this year and next year. Um, I think a lot of people would consider Nick Letty a splash, although I'm just not too sure if he matches it for the Blues. Um and you know the Jacob Chickrens. I think that's a, that's the splash. Obviously, I just I think if you go to the the Middletons, if you go to the guys that are like on that second tier, I think what that would tell me is they tried to get one of those top tier guys, and the cost was just too much, and so they took that next step down and hope that the team effort can win games. Last thing on this: yesterday, TSN had their insiders talking about who is. Uh, having movement right now in the trade market. Here's what Darren Drager had to say on TSN about Jacob Chikrin and the latest with his market. At this point, eight teams are seriously in the chase for Jacob Chikrin. But again, we've reported so much on this. Based on the amount that Bill Armstrong and the Arizona Coyotes need to move the 23-year-old defenseman, James, good news for you and for us here at TSN. This could come right down to the wire on March 21st based on the package required. Now, it's Florida, it's L.A., it's Boston, it's St. Louis, it's Carolina, it's Anaheim among the primary suitors. So that's where we're at right now. There's still eight teams that are interested in Chikrin. That's not going to end anytime soon. Alex, I've got a tinfoil theory on this. I think the reason that we are hearing so many players connected to the Blues is because those teams want to have the Blues connected to those players. I don't think any of these leaks that you're hearing right now are coming from the Blues side. I think all of this is coming from the other team side because everybody around the league knows the Blues need a defenseman. Yep. And so if you're one of those other teams and you can include the Blues, whether they are actually in the mix or not, if other teams think that the Blues are bidding on those players, it ups the price for them. So it is in the seller's best interest. If you've got a defenseman who's going to hit the open market and you're going to trade him, it is in your best interest to say the Blues are involved in this sweepstakes. So I don't know how many of these the Blues are actually in on because Doug Armstrong is very good at his job and he makes sure everything is done behind the scenes. So you're probably going to hear over the next 10 days, they are included in conversations on every single defenseman that is legitimately available. 
that doesn't mean the Blues are actually actively going out there and looking to acquire that specific player. So keep that in mind as you're hearing any of these reports that are coming out. It's a spot-on tinfoil. I mean, this is how this works. You get connections because teams know the deficit. Why do you think the Avalanche are being connected to Marc-Andre Fleury? Because they got a goaltending issue. Why do you think the Vegas Golden Knights have been connected to Marc-Andre Fleury? Because they got a goaltending issue. By the way, it's also why I think the Claude Giroux thing is so interesting. Because the Blues don't need him. So that makes me wonder, exactly. where's that one coming from? I, I think there might be more smoke to the Claude Giroux thing than we're leading on because there is no other reason why the Blues would be connected to him. Yep. They don't need him. Yeah, they don't. Think of the teams that are also connected to him. Them I mean, and, the, and the, the Colorado, Colorado Avalanche. Avalanche. And Neither the Minnesota team Wild. actually needs Claude Giroux. Well, the Minnesota Wild, too. But the Minnesota Wild need Claude Giroux. But if that's where he approved, that's the hard part with this because that was the report that that's who he approved the trade from. But then there was a report that the Blues are trying to get him to, to, to approve a deal it. to St. Louis. Also, so came from Frank Saravalli with this one. So you're right. But look, th- this is how this also goes. Like, you could be connected to where an agent says, oh, yeah, Doug Armstrong called about this guy. But you don't know how that phone call went. The phone call could have been, hey, Bill, this is Doug. We were interested in Jacob Chicken. Yeah, we want Kyru. Okay, thanks. Not calling again. Yep. Hang up the phone. So that's how some of these usually go. So you're going to hear this all the way up to March 21st. I don't believe Doug Armstrong pulls a deal off until the trade deadline because I don't know how many teams are actually going to pull off deals before the actual trade deadline. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll get to the BK and Ferrario Rewind. I've got a couple of different options for you guys. Four options, a top-tier DH, a second-tier DH, and one of the top-tier relievers. Which of these guys are you most interested in? I've got some results on the polls that I put out on Twitter, at BK Sports Talk. We'll get to that in the BK and Ferrario Rewind. One got to go. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line coming up next. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. This is BK and Ferrario. Time now for One's Gotta Go. We offer up the talking points, and you get to pick which one's gotta go on 101 ESPN. Count that, that big bang. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. You give us four options. We will tell you which one's gotta go. One's gotta go Cardinals game day giveaway edition. A bobblehead? A jersey, a replica ring, or a hat? Which one's got to go? Tanner, you can kick us off on this one, man. Oh, man. I like like the – I like – no, I like the giveaways. I like the replica rings. Bobbleheads are cool. I have a couple of those. Be between jersey and hat. I'd probably say get rid of the hat because I have plenty of those, and a jersey would be cool. So I I would say I would have to get rid of the hats on this one. Yeah, proper answer here is to get rid of the hat. I mean, those giveaway the hats, they're not like the typical like era hats that the players wear. And let's be honest, I got a box full of hats in my house right now that I don't ever have a time to wear. So uh, yeah, I'm getting rid of the hat. Can I be honest? Not a big giveaway guy. What like what? what a, well, you don't like free stuff? What do I do with you it? You don't the, like The bobblehead I'll put onto my into my office and I'll put it on the bookshelf or whatever. The jersey, I guess you hang it up somewhere, but I don't really have a spot for that. The replica rings, the hell am I supposed to do with that? Put them in a box and you showcase them? Yeah, but you're not actually going to do it. I'll, I'll get rid of the replica rings. At least They're the hat my, has a little bit of like I got them in application my basement. that I can use They're it for. They're in a curio cabinet in my basement. Really? Yeah. I have a bunch yeah. of replica rings, and I, li- I love them. Why do you like What do you do with them, Tanner? Show I just them have them where they're sitting up where I can see them, where they're like on my desk or on my bookshelf. When Tanner brings over a uh, 
a, a female friend from Tinder. He's like, hey, check out my bobblehead collection. Look at she six, runs out the front door. Look at my six, five, World seven, Series eight, replica oh. ring from the 80s. Is the Air Comfort <laughs> Service text line for One's Gotta Go. One Gotta Go St. Paddy's Day Beverage Edition. A Guinness, Irish Mule, Green Light Beer, or Irish Coffee. Which one's gotta go, Alex? God, all of these are awful. What? What goes in the you Irish coffee? You don't like Guinness? Coffee? No. What's it? What goes in the Irish coffee? That's just the creamer. Irish cream. Yeah. Well, they put, there's alcohol in Irish coffee, isn't there? Yeah, it's the in Irish the creamer. Cream. That's the that's the alcohol. Okay, Irish it's a liqueur. Oh, but I'm asking what alcohol it is. Irish. I mean, I, Irish cream. I, I don't know what more to tell you, buddy. <laughs> I'm telling you what alcohol it is. is it? The, that's what I it's want. Like to a know. Bailey's. Yeah. Oh. Well, that's all you needed to say, man. Uh. <laughs> you know what the 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 green beer I'm out on. Why? I don't know. I've never been. It's Bud Light with green food coloring in it. No, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. I, I don't like colored. Uh, I don't like colored drinks. Okay. What were the first? There was Guinness. What was the other Guinness, one? Guinness and Irish Mule. What is that? Green Light Beer or Irish Coffee. I don't know what they do with the Irish Mule. My assumption would like be a, that they use uh, Irish whiskey instead of. Oh, I thought that was like when vodka. you drop the drink in the other one. Yeah, see, I wouldn't mind that. I would have to get rid of Guinness. Isn't that like a darker beer? I, yeah, I'm not big on dark dark beer, so I, I would have to get rid of the Guinness. I like a good Guinness, especially on a day like today where it's a little chilly outside. I love Guinness. Um, I'm fine with the green light beer. I, I don't mind the Irish coffee. I'm not a big Irish whiskey guy in general, so I, I and I'm really I, I can't do ginger beer. It's too much for me. So I'll get rid of the Irish mule. That would be the one that's got to go for me. One got to go second job for Tanner edition. Gnome better not be on here. That is my saying, second the guard job. Gnome is his second job. Bartender, plumber, working in HR, or a taxi driver? Taxi driver. There is no chance Tanner could work in HR. No. God, no chance There's Tanner no could chance work in Tanner HR. Tanner could be a plumber. I could, Tanner doesn't like people enough to work in HR. That's not that's true. true. I like people more than Ferrario. <laughs> well, that's not. I didn't say the bar real low I, than there. I didn't say Alex could work in HR no, either. No, no, no. I could, I could totally do HR. No. No, you can't do HR. There's no shot that I can do plumbing over HR. There's no shot you could be a plumber. Yeah. Uh, What was the other one? Taxi driver. No, I know the taxi. Bartender, plumber, HR, taxi I don't think you could be a good bartender. I don't think you work well under pressure when you got 17 people trying to flag you down at once. So I'm going to say you'd be a great taxi driver, T-Bone. Really? Yeah. I I think Because you like people enough to not talk to them in the car while you drive. I think I could do all three of those except for the plumber one. I could not be a plumber. I can guarantee you that I would not be a plumber. The other three I could totally do. I should have been a plumber. No chance he could work in HR. No. Uh, 65780. Plumbing's a neat. Plum, plumbing's a good job. Is the air comfort service X line for one's got to go. Last one here. One got to go. Ballpark food edition. A hot dog. The loaded nachos. Popcorn or pretzels. Which one's got to go? Alex Ferrario. Popcorn's got to go. I don't view popcorn as a real ball, ballpark. I don't either, you. but I also know it's like when I go to the movie theater. I know that popcorn's been sitting there for at least a day, so I'm, I'm kind of out what on that What if I replace the popcorn with peanuts? Would it change it at all, or would you no, get rid I'd of the peanuts? No, I'd probably get rid of the peanuts, too. Okay. Yeah, because I, I think, and I don't know what you'd be able to add in there. You know, maybe if you, uh, if you're talking about Bush Stadium food, you could talk about the uh, the, the the rice that they have because woo, that's pretty good. But the hot dogs and the nachos Wait, are they the sell goats. rice at Bush Stadium. Yeah, it's like um, 
It's like it's like they basically said like Chinese food there. It's really good. Oh, I've never even seen that before. Pretzels would be second tier, and then yeah, we'd get rid of either pretzels or pop or See, uh, po- peanuts or popcorn. If you put peanuts in there, I think I would get rid of the pretzel. I, I'd much rather have some peanuts to snack under an entire game while I'm at the ballpark. It just fits. You break the shell, you put it down below. Yeah, I think I would have if you insert peanuts there. I'm totally getting rid of the insert uh, what? Insert what the say? peanuts. What, get your mind out of the gutter. Hey, man, you said it quick, not me. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up next, I put peanuts. out a poll on Twitter. I'm at BK Sports Talk. You can go ahead and vote over there uh, right now if you'd like to. Which of these options at DH and as a reliever would you most like to see the Cardinals add over the next 72 hours or so? We'll give you some of the results, and we'll give you our choices to these coming up next. You're on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. things up with the BK and Ferrario Rewind here on 101 ESPN. Buster only just tweeted. He's heard from a veteran agent saying that the market is quote-unquote zooming. He's already heard about six to eight deals have been agreed to, so hopefully those will be announced at some point during the fast lane. Speaking of free agency, Alex, I put this poll up on Twitter. I've got three different options for people that I'm curious what your thoughts are on this, okay? So if the Cardinals decide to go out there and sign a DH to a one-year deal and they look at some of the top-end options, which of these four would you guys be most interested in? Jock Peterson? Anthony Rizzo, Nelson Cruz, or Jorge Soler. I don't think they're going to go into the top of the top market, like Nick Castellanos, the Kyle Schwarbers, the multi-year contracts guys. I don't think they're going to be interested in them. So this is just a little tier below them. Of those guys, who would you be most interested in, Alex? Me personally, I would be more interested in in Anthony Rizzo. I mean, the lefty who's got experience hitting in the leadoff spot. He can get on base. He's got the power. I don't know. I mean, he's only 32 years old. It's not like he's older or anything. So I would like to take a shot at an Anthony Rizzo, who's also very familiar with the NL Central. That would be my want. Tanner, if you could get one of these guys on a one-year deal, Peterson, Rizzo, Cruz, or Soler, who would you want? I would go with Rizzo. I think the left-handed bat, that's the power guy that could be at the DH spot, I think he just makes a ton of sense. You want a left-handed power bat. I do like Nelson Cruz as well. I probably agree with you that he probably is a better hitter, but I think the Cardinals are in need of a left-handed power bat, and that's why I would say Anthony Rizzo. We've got about 400 votes so far. Nelson Cruz is the leader at 32%, but Rizzo's right there at 30%, and then both Peterson and Soler are at 20%. I would go Cruz. You guys know my rationale there. I just think he's the best hitter of that bunch. If you drop down a tier from that and you go to the second-tier guys that are designated hitter options, which of these guys would you be interested in? By the way, Cardinals fans have overwhelmingly stated one of them. I think you can guess who it is. Albert Pujols, Brad Miller, Colin Moran, Corey Dickerson. Which of those four would you be most interested in, Alex? Mine would be Colin Moran. Um, uh, The lefty bat who can play multiple positions for you but also makes life a little easier for some of those younger players. I mean, that's just the one thing. Look, I would love a Pujols reunion to see him in St. Louis, the final tour with Yachty and Ueno, but he, he hits against one hitter or he hits against one pitcher 
and he cannot play any position other than DH. And to me, I think you got to get some more versatility. So mine would be Colin Moran. I'm with you. Mine would be Colin Moran because of the versatility. He is a left-handed bat, and he and he hits well against the NL Central. The numbers show it. He hits right-handed pitching well yeah. as as well. So he would be my choice of that. I'm assuming the Cardinals fans voted for Brad Miller. Overwhelmingly, Millsy. Albert Pujols. Yeah. I, I think this is a conversation worth having next week if they don't make a move at DH over the weekend because Albert Pujols is going to be a fan favorite, of course, that everybody wants to see them sign. I think I would be with you guys with Colin Moran. A, lefty. B, he plays the two positions that you're potentially going to need with him being at first and third base. If you give a day off to Arenado or Goldie, he would be a guy that could fill in at either of those two spots. Final one here. Again, overwhelmingly Cardinals fans. I asked which top reliever would you be interested in? Joe Kelly ran away with the poll. But if you guys were asked this, Ryan Tapera, Andrew Chafin, Colin McHugh, Joe Kelly, which one of those guys would you be most interested in the Cardinals acquiring? Mine's Joe Kelly. Like I said, I think you need a little bit of uh, character, and I think you need a little bit of spice in your clubhouse, and that's Joe Kelly, who's also familiar with the Cardinals. Yep, Joe Kelly for me, right-handed pitcher. Could be that seventh, eighth-inning guy for you. Could close if he had to. He has familiarity with St. Louis, and like Alex said, he provides a little bit of spark for that bullpen. We're all on the same page here. I do think the Cardinals, if they make another move this weekend, it's very likely going to be in the bullpen as a guy who could be an eighth inning or closer for them. Lots more on that throughout the afternoon today, I am sure. The fast lane coming up from 2 to 6. Enjoy your week in St. Louis. We'll be back on Monday at 11 right here on 101 ESPN. How you doing over there, partner? Hell of a period there. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Splash Weather Repel Premium Windshield Wash features a three-in-one formula that repels rain, sleet, snow, and bugs while leaving a streak-free shine. And its advanced beating technology keeps you seeing safely all year long. See safely on the road when you apply a little splash. Pick some up at Walmart today.